get accused of getting racked in the head a few times and have a little touch of Alzheimer's? My God, I almost forgot the fourth horseman, Ric Flair, go down here. Here we go. almost embarrassed by the response, but when I see this, I know that the 25 years that I spent trying to make you happy every night of your life was worth every damn minute of it. Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine for volume one of this month's show to bring you all your WCW coverage. We've got three volumes for you this month. Uh, WWF takes the number two spot and ECW rounds us off for the month with volume number three as always. Uh, Joining me for our first venture into the wrestling time machine for the month, we have firstly Pete Kimber. Pete, how are you doing? Hi Chris, very well. It's fine Sunday morning. Very good, very good. And we also have Adam Joyce. Adam, thanks for being on the show. Uh, um, after watching four lots of three-hour nitros, I'm, I'm not sure uh, I'm feeling the joy. <laughs> no, I don't blame you at all. It's hardly been a uh, stellar month. Um, Adam, would you uh, kick us off for the month with the news, please? <clears throat> okay. Uh, after a legal battle that stretched nearly five months, Ric Flair returned to WCW this month on the 14th of September Nitro. Flair had been at legal odds with WCW since early April after missing a Thunder taping. In April, Bischoff had a meeting with WCW talent running down Flair's characters, and to such an extent, many believed he was trying to work the boys to an angle. But a few days later, WCW filed a two million. Do- but a few days later, WCW filed a two million dollar lawsuit against Ric Flair. Flair, who has expressed interest in returning to the WWF to, uh, to work a program with Steve Austin, returned to the company in Greensville, South Carolina, to a deafening ovation in a segment that led to a huge rating gap for the Nitro, doing a 5.4 rating during the reemergence of Flair, as opposed to Raw's 3.8 rating at the same time. Four Brawl is a show that could be considered to be near the top of any list of the worst pay-per-view wrestling shows ever. Yay! with barely anything of value whatsoever during the show. In the main event, Dumb Dallas Page picked up the win, earning himself a WCW title shot in the future. Unlike previous WCW shows with atrocious main events, the undercard was unable to save the show. speaking, September was a month of poor quality product for WCW, which in part may be down to lots of dissension within the offices of the company. Nick Lambros, the Vice President of Business Affairs, left the company after losing a power play to Bischoff. Terry Taylor and Kevin Sullivan have been taken off having any real input in Nitro or Thunder, now just putting together the Saturday night show. Bischoff is currently booking both Monday and Thursday, largely on the advice of Hogan and Nash. 
It appears the top matches for Halloween Havoc next month will be Hogan versus Warrior, Goldberg versus DDP, and Steiner versus Steiner in a no-DQ match. In contract news, Sting signed a new seven-figure contract with the company and no longer wants to work on Thursday. While this hasn't been confirmed, it is said that the Giant is either very close to completing a deal to go to the WWF. Considering his age is just 27 and huge size, the Giant certainly would fit the bill for McMahon. Thank you, gents. Uh, Pete, coming out of the news, um, what stands out to you for the month of September as maybe the biggest story for WCW? Uh, it has to be flair for me. I think, uh, obviously, during Full Brawl, we had lots of uh, we want flair chants uh, ringing around the arena. Um, they didn't do a very good job of hiding the fact that he was going to return, obviously, very, very soon. But obviously, that, that whole return on the 14th Nitro for me was uh, a standout moment on a pretty uh, poor um, September in general. So it was a real uh, uh, a classic return to form for Flair. A great promo. So we're going to cover a bit later on as well. But that, for me, that was the best moment. Um, Adams, same question. Anything else? Uh, TV or pay per view? Uh, why is it sort of a side uh, you consider newsworthy for this month? Particularly, I suppose, Ric Flair. Um, I mean, Ric Flair is obviously the biggest thing. Um, I mean, there's there's like a couple of small spikes. Um, I thought, you know, at the end of the. Raven Saturn thing was a good thing in the mid card. Also, you had uh, they promoted the first Hogan uh, Bret Hart match that obviously didn't quite go to plan. Um, much to my chagrin as a big Bret Hart fan, really. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, the biggest thing, as you both said, does have to be the return of Ric Flair. And it's interesting because obviously, with the location of Full Brawl and uh, the, the Nitro where Flair returned the night after. Um, Apparently, the deal to have him come back very nearly fell apart over the weekend. So I feel like if you uh, in front of that crowd in Greenville, South Carolina, if, if you took that Ric Flair segment away with all the hype that had sort of led into it and the chance of Flair at full brawl, it would have been a, a sort of mutiny from the crowd on your hands. Like, I mean, they 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 wanted Flair and I mean credit to WCW they they delivered him and it was a it was a great segment and uh when we uh, get to that point sort of chronologically within the month we will discuss the return of flair uh in more detail uh but moving on to the TVs uh, at the start of the month we've just got the one nitro to discuss before we move into our review of full brawl and uh if you're a fan of magic and uh, people disappearing and smoke well this was the nitro for you um, the main sort of talking point to take from this Nitro would be the uh, Warrior. Uh, starting with the opening segment, uh, the show kicked off with Hogan surveying the uh, the tag, the tagging damage uh, done in the NWO locker room, presumably by Warrior. Uh, Warrior. Uh, NWO members had been attacked, again, presumably by Warrior. We, we weren't privy to any of this, but it was assumed that Warrior was the culprit. Uh, the closing angle on the show... Uh, Hogan and Giant calling out the warrior while stood in the cage. Uh, then we had spooky smoke, uh, excuse me, spooky <laughs> smoke fill the ring. And when it cleared, we saw that the Giant was completely laid out and Warrior was sat on a chair in the middle of the ring. Uh, warrior then uh, missed a chair shot of his own and no and then no-sold a chair shot from Hogan, who then ran for his life. Uh, Smoke filled the ring again, and Warrior disappeared. And this magic show was the go-home segment for Full Brawl. Um, 
Pete, I come to you first. What do you make of the magic on Nitro? Oh, blimey. Um, I don't know how else they would have probably introduced sort of Warrior into this feud with Hogan, other than the fact that obviously we know, what, in 1990, it was, you know, the biggest match going for eight years down the line. We're having to use smoke and mirrors to, to mean Warrior gets the upper hand on the NWO. Um, I guess it's a bit, bit of fun. Um, trouble is, it just goes on and on and on for the rest of the month as well. And I think maybe once or twice would have been interesting, but to keep it going the way it has been, I mean, it, it just, you have to suspend your disbelief. I guess that is wrestling, isn't it? But this is a little bit, for me, OTT. Um, I just think somehow they've got to get to the Warrior home match, but need to try and cut away all this if they can. But I guess if you're in an arena, because it'd be quite fun with all the, the smoke going everywhere and people disappearing and being dropped and collapsed and all that. So, yeah, I guess it's a bit of fun, but I don't know if it should be fun. This is quite a, it's a big thing for, for Hogan to get his win back at some point. So, I don't know, they're playing it for fun at the moment. So, are we to assume that Warrior is has the power of sort of super speed when the when the smoke is in the ring? And is able to like lay out these guys with the smoke. Like the smoke fills the ring and people get laid out, but he leaves Hogan untouched. Like, is that what we're let's meant not, to assume? Let's or... not forget, Chris. Papa Shango put him under a spell all those years ago. That's what I'm saying. Well, um, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say, really, about this Warrior uh, stuff. Uh, Adam, over to you. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the first Nitro and uh, Warrior in particular? Oh, um, <laughs> okay. I, six months ago, uh, we had the Fed doing all the supernatural stuff between Taker and Kane, and that was a stretch. At least Undertaker has been kind of portrayed as a supernatural character, so it wasn't that much of a stretch. Warrior, he was always really spaced out, but no one ever saw him as, you know, able to uh, able to do magic. Um, I'm, but I mean, this this pretty much just has happened way too late. I think basically five years ago was would have been a good time to do this rematch. I don't think anyone since, like I said, the early 90s has really yearned to see these two go at it, um, especially given the Warriors' run in, in the Fed a couple of years ago. No one sort of looked at that and thought, yeah, boy, have I been missing that. And which, considering what the Fed was offering two years ago, says something, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're right when sort of the desire to have this Hogan-Warrior rematch um, eight years, however many years in the making it is, uh, the desire for that certainly doesn't come from the fans. It seems to come from purely Hogan wanting his win back. I mean, and I know uh, Hogan very much has Bischoff's ear and uh, Bischoff is the one booking the show, but that's probably not the best way to book your company sort of on the whims and desires of your star to produce a product that the fans don't want to see, especially when the product is as sort of hokey and out there as this. Um, I don't know. I, if you're building a main event program, I just think that I shouldn't 
laugh at it and not in a way because it's good comedy like it's just bad tv it doesn't make sense um i don't know i i felt like i was watching sort of a parody of wrestling like if if a group of comedians got together and wanted to make a parody of a wrestling tv show i feel like this warrior hogan angle with giant and the cage at the end of nitro is the kind of thing that you'd write even down to sort of warrior running at him with a chair and hogan just sort of sidestepping out the way and then hitting him with a chair shot of his own which got no sold like it it really felt like a parody of wrestling and that's not what you want at the top of your card like i think that's a really bad precedent to set within your company when people stop taking your main event storyline seriously um and it also makes the nwa black and white look absolute fools again i mean last the uh time when ddp and um carl malone turned up in the in the truck in the car park and they were there with baseball bats and then they all ran away scared with baseball bats and weapons and now we've got a guy uh, putting smoke into a ring and they're all getting laid laid low or captured and kidnapped or whatever else it just makes that look a bit if it's all about hogan and warrior just do hogan and warrior don't involve the giant being laid out for what seemed like what 10 minutes lying on the ground with space in the in the map i mean who could well, do this, that to the giant? <laughs> this is what i mean so if you try and look at this logically and i know that that's that's a mistake with most pro wrestling let alone an angle like this is warrior putting in this like gas that's knocking people out is the smoke an actual like is is the gas the smoke knocking people out and if so why does it only affect some people exactly. like or or is he like superhuman and has the speed to lay people out in the smoke but for whatever reason he leaves his main target untouched like because either either of those scenarios make no sense whatsoever. No. Um, so I think what they're going for is, you know, like in the horror movie, you know, you've got like the main protagonists and there's like a group of them walking through, and the villain sort of just takes one of them out, takes one like the lank, uh, lackeys out while the main protagonist isn't looking. I think that's what they're going for. Except it just comes across so ridiculous. I mean, Pete said it earlier about the Papa Shango stuff they were doing with the warrior in the early nineties. This wouldn't have been out of place then, but wrestling has come a long way in such a short amount of time. But yeah. that stuff just wouldn't stand up nowadays. No. And then this doesn't, does it, to be honest? No, yeah. and when you take into account, it's been said already, but when you take into account this is the main event angle before a pay-per-view, um, a pay-per-view that has a, well, a variation of war games in the main event, like, uh, and this is the build to it, just very underwhelming very silly and uh i think a complete misfire from from the bookers of wcw really um it's not the way you want to sell a pay-per-view if if you if you were on the fence about buying the pay-per-view going into the go home show i don't think you'd buy it having watched this nitro Nitro kicked off of the month in the NWO locker room with Hogan assessing the damage done in the room, presumably by Warrior. 
Vincent raised the alarm that Scott Norton and Brian Adams had been attacked and taken away in an ambulance. Hogan and his entourage headed to the ring to call out Warrior, who did not respond. Hogan announced that Brett was off the NWA Hollywood team for War Games and the Giant should be taking his place. In our opening match, Conan defeated Bull Payne. Mean Gene interviewed JJ Dillon. He said that the contracts were signed and Hogan and Bischoff did not have the authority to replace Brett with the Giant in War Games. Mean Gene brought out DDP for a promo and asked if he was going to join the Wolfpack. Nash interrupted and demanded a straight answer. DDP hinted that Nash couldn't be trusted and a tag match between DDP and Piper and two members of the Wolfpack is set for later in the show. Piper came out for a promo. He said he was not happy about being put in a match by DDP for tonight. Piper said War Games is every man for himself and that he was on nobody's team on Sunday but agreed to team with DDP for tonight. Raph defeated Lenny Lane. The Disciple was found hanging upside down from the ceiling of Hogan's dressing room. Brett came down to the ring and was followed by Kurt Henning, Stevie Ray and Vincent. Sting came out with his bat and cleared everyone but Brett away. Sting handed Brett the baseball bat and turned his back. Brett didn't hit Sting and dropped the bat and Sting walked away but Sting now knew that he could trust Brett. We had a Rick Steiner video package dealing with the breakup of the Steiners followed by Scott Steiner squashing Evan. Juventud Guerrera defeated Hexen Garza in a sloppy match which was the best action these fans had seen all night. Kurt Henning and Rick Rude came out. Henning called Arn Anderson a coward for walking out on the horseman last week. Henning ran down Dean Malenko ahead of the cage match later in the evening. The Cat defeated Kenny Chaos with a spin kick. Stevie Ray defeated Chris Adams after a super kick and pedigree. Saturn defeated Riggs with a Death Valley driver. After the match, Raven ordered Saturn to break Riggs' fingers or have his own fingers broken. Saturn offered up his own fingers and Raven obliged. Chris Jericho and Jim Neidhart had a disaster of a match which had a messy ending after a confusion involving Neidhart seemingly being unable to roll over to take the Lion Tamer. The ref called for the bell, but no bell rang. Eventually Jericho just released the hold and the ref raised his hand. Eddie Guerrero came out and said he had suffered a back injury against Brian Adams last week and per his, and per his contract Eric Bischoff was responsible for his care. So tonight he was taking the night off. Kurt Henning vs Dimilenko had a very long cage match that ended via disqualification. Yes, a DQ in a cage match. Dean had the Cloverleaf locked on before Rude attacked Dean and the ref called for the bell. Rude went to slam the door on Milenko's head but Arm made the save, clearing the ring of Rude and Stevie Ray. Goldberg squashed Scott Putsky, winning after a spear and jackhammer. DDP and Piper took on Sting and Luger, which ended in another disqualification when Nash ran out and attacked Piper and hit a powerbomb on Page. Hogan and the Giant came to the ring and Hogan called out Warrior. He offered Warrior a one-on-one fight with the Giant inside the cages it lowered. You'll have more on this on the main show of the podcast, but the segment ended when Warrior appeared with smoke, uh, laid out uh, the Giant. Hogan got a chair shot in which with the Warrior no-sold and Hogan ran away. Uh, with that in mind, I think it's time for us to move into our review of Full Brawl 19. Uh, 98. Uh, Adam, uh, would you kind of uh, kick us off with the results? Uh, okay, Let's get the right screen up. Uh, so, uh, WCW NWO Full Brawl 1998 on the 13th of September. Uh, opening match was a tag match featuring uh, Jim Neidhart and the Bulldog taking on Alex Wright and Disco Inverno. Uh, Bulldog defeated Disco Inferno with a running power slam at 11 minutes 03. 
Uh, Chris Jericho challenged Goldberg to a title for title match uh, and was met with Midget Goldberg, who he defeated in 1 minute 15. Next up was a singles match between the Cat and Norman Smiley. Uh, after the Cat said he could beat Norman Smiley in five seconds, uh, he ended up taking five minutes to defeat him. Next up was a singles match between Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner that went to no contest after five minutes 30 after Buff Bagwell faked a neck injury uh, and the referee called the match off. There was a WCW Cruiserweight title match between Hooventude Guerrero and Silver King that Hooventude won after eight minutes 36. Uh, then there was a Ravens Rules match between Perry Saturn and Raven, which uh, Perry Saturn won after 14 minutes. There was a singles match between Dean Malenko, where he defeated Kurt Henning after, uh, by disqualification in seven and a half minutes. As a singles match where Conan defeated a very inebriated Scott Hall in just over 12 minutes. And the main event of the evening was a three-way nine-man war games match pitting the Team WCW of DDP, Rowdy Roddy Piper and The Warrior against the NWO Hollywood of Bret Hart, Hollywood Hogan and Stevie Ray and the NWO Wolfpack of Kevin Nash, Lex Luger and Sting, which Diamond Dallas Page won for a number one contendership shot at the next pay-per-view when he pinned Stevie Ray after 20 minutes of action. Uh, thank you very much, Adam. Pete, come to you first. What did you make of this show? The best show? No, sorry. Uh, it was absolutely awful, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, yeah, and it's what we probably thought it was going to be. I think probably there's one match, maybe two, that are worth your while, which would probably be the Cruiserweight match and probably the Ravens Rules match. The rest was just, I mean, there was a horrible neck injury angle, which we'll go into. I thought was pretty disgusting, really. The opener was was nothing. And the War Games match, just to me, made absolutely no sense. And I'll come on to that later on, because it was a team affair, but anyone could win and there's a title shot at stake, but it just didn't really seem to really matter as such. It was like an afterthought, but no, this was a, this has got to be the poorest of, of 98 in terms of WCW and probably one of the top five, I'd imagine worst we probably ever reviewed, I'd imagine. Uh, Adam, your thoughts on the pay-per-view? Um, usually with WCW, you know, you've got uh, these lackluster main events and stellar undercards. Um, this one, this main event, uh, only had one of those. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of matches that were really good, but I mean, nothing you should really go out your way to see unless you were really into the flock angle, which actually that had a great blow off. But yeah, it's such a nothing show. Um, yeah, they, I've really got very little good to say about this show. It's, it's just going to be a lot of me rambling um with some angry rants about some of the shit that books <laughs> well i look forward to uh, getting into it a bit uh i agree with both of you it's a, a hideous show one positive for me i'll get it out of the way is that the, the uh, raven and saturn match i did really like that um i was sort of in the mindset of the crowd you could at one point there we'll get into it in more detail later but there was a uh a bit where it, it seemed like Raven was going to pick up the win and uh, the crowd, you could almost hear them groaning. And uh, when Saturn kicked out, it, it was like someone flicked a switch and the crowd came alive. And the last sort of five minutes of that match were excellent and like perfectly booked and uh, 
perfectly executed and, and I was with the crowd on that. I, I was into that match. Those five minutes were the only good thing on this show for me. Uh, I really didn't enjoy anything else. Um, it's the first WC, uh, WCW uh, pay-per-view I've watched for the, the podcast this year. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't cover WCW frequently, more of a WWF man. But uh, when I do, the pattern's always been terrible main event propped up by a decent to good undercard. And this show just lacked the decent to good undercard. Um, I've often spoke of the on the WWF side of things, of the sort of comparison between having a great undercard and a bad main event compared with a bad undercard, but an excellent main event, because you often get that in the WWF. Uh, obviously, in an ideal world, you would have both. But on this night in Carolina, WCW delivered neither. The show opened with Mean Gene trying to hype up the card, but Chris Jericho came out to interrupt a big heat. Uh, Jericho says he's been calling out Goldberg, and tonight Goldberg has finally accepted, and we are set for Goldberg versus Jericho, title versus title. The opening match is Dancing Falls, Disco Inferno, and Alex Wright take on Jim Neidhart and David Boy Smith. Uh, Disco and Bulldog uh, trade poses with the crowd. Wright and David Boy lock up, and Alex hits a arm, dra arm drag. Bulldog, Bulldog hits forearms in the corner until Alex cuts him off with an eye poke, followed by some uppercuts. Wright runs into a hip, hip toss and a press slam before both men tag out. Anvil throws Disco down before hitting a few shoulder blocks. Anvil mocks Disco's pose and darts, but runs into a drop toe hold. Disco beats on Neidhart and hits a knee lift, but Anvil fights back, and Bulldog and Wright both tag in. Wright hits a few uppercuts and stomps away on Davy Boy. Wright follows up with a monkey flip, but Bulldog lands on his feet. Uh, Dave Boy cuts Wright off with a back elbow, and Wright comes back with a foot to the face. <laughs> Disco tags in, hits uh, Macarena Hammer for two. Bulldog throws Disco outside, and Anvil throws him into the guardrail. Back inside, Davy Boy botches a flapjack. Anvil tags in and throws Disco around by the hair before biting him. Uh, this is dragging, and the crowd is starting to get restless. Uh, Anvil tries a slingshot shoulder block, which Disco avoids before getting a hot tag to Alex Wright, who hits a missile dropkick. Wright follows up with a backdrop and a slam on Bulldog. Uh, Anvil jumps right from behind, and the ref does nothing about it. Disco and Wright collide after some miscommunication, and Bulldog, after three attempts, eventually hits a power slam for the free count, which is enough for them to win the match. Uh, Pete, come to you first. What did you make of this opener? I think it went, what, about 11 and a half minutes or nearly 12 minutes? Yep. I don't think we yeah. need to see the British Bulldog and Jim the Anvil Nighthawk opening a pay-per-view for nearly 12 minutes. But um, it's a shame because Disco and um, Alex Wright probably could have had a singles match themselves to open the card and been 10 times better than this. But unfortunately, they were obviously not going to win this match. Uh, the Bulldog looks like he's, at one point in his career, like he's going to come out of his own body because of his muscles. Now he looks like he's been sort of hot air balloon now. He's going to bulge out just because he's on a bit of weight. He looks a bit out of shape these days, bless him. And Neidhart's very similar. Um, just, yeah, just standard fare. Um, the fact that Bulldog took a long time to get that going just sort of ruined the end a little bit as well. And I think it was just a waste of Disco and Alex Wright. But there's hope that those two will now have a singles match, maybe on a pay-per-view to open next time. Get rid of the Bulldog and Anvil, who are probably only there because... Uh, their best mate Brett or their brother Brett sorry is still in the place so uh, yeah not a great start and uh, I think sets the tone really 
Adam, your thoughts on our opening contest? You know, there was like five minutes of this pay-per-view before the entrances for this match started. Um, I, you know, being the vigilant watcher of podcaster I am, I actually timed that five minutes, three seconds before the entrances. Um, and you know what? It was really not worth the wait. Um, <laughs> who, it, who waits that long you know, to put the first match on on a, on a pay-per-view? There's, there's a reason that the Fed is starting to pick up steam. They, they never wait more than two for them. But, I mean, the match itself, um, I don't know, my, my, the take by the middle of the match was very choppy, um, which proves, it, you know, my satellite connection, obviously, that day was not uh, very good, at least at the time this match was going, because it didn't have that issue with any of the other ones. But, um yeah, there's really nothing that great about this. Um, one note I wrote down right at the start is if you look like Alex Wright, you should not be taking down the Bulldog with a shoulder tackle. Um, no, nothing against Alex Wright as such. It's just a guy that thick does not get te- does not get shoulder barged to the mat by a guy that slender. Um, there's just... I don't really have anything good to say about this match. Wright and Disco look like they trying but the Neidhart um, and the Bulldog they just they look like they're playing their greatest hits um, but there's nothing behind the eyes It's next yeah I think to call this sort of a pedestrian tag match would, would be kind it was sloppy, had timing issues and at nearly 12 minutes it really really dragged, I didn't enjoy it at all um, and like a large part, the majority of the blame falls at the feet of, of one team, really. And I think you're both right to point out that right, Alex Wright and Disco were trying and they, they probably did the best they could with the guys they had opposite of them, considering their motivation and, and sort of their capabilities at this point in their career. Um, yeah, a really, really below average pay-per-view opener and uh, a long, bad, slow, plodding match which drags for 12 minutes is not the way to get the crowd warmed up for a show. Backstage, Mean Gene says there is a rumour going around that Scott Steiner may not be facing Rick Steiner tonight. Uh, Buff Bagwell says they have a doctor's note that prohibits Scott from competing, but JJ Dillon comes in, tears up the doctor's orders and tell Scott that if he doesn't wrestle tonight, he'll be forever barred from WCW. Into our second match of the evening, and we have Chris Jericho coming out for his match with Goldberg. Uh, We have a really long, protracted Chris Jericho entrance, him in the back. Uh, It takes him probably the best part. I didn't time this. Maybe maybe Adam was on hand to do so. But I think it was probably the best part of five minutes of Jericho coming to the ring before we retreated to Goldberg's music playing. Um, so the crowd were really hyped for Goldberg. Goldberg chants, and instead out comes the fake, very small midget Goldberg. Uh, Tony calls this a disgrace, and he apologises to the fans. So we're underway, Jericho versus Mini Goldberg. Uh, Jericho hits a vertical suplex or two. Uh, the crowd are chanting for Goldberg. I'm assuming they're chanting for the real one. Uh, the fake Goldberg hits a spear, but Jericho no-sells it and gets straight back up. He takes him down, locks on a line tamer for the win after barely more than a minute. Uh, Adam, your thoughts on this this clash between 
Jericho and Mini Goldberg? Um, I thought I find it, I find Jericho really entertaining. Um, and I think the only issue here was that Gold. I don't know if the fact that Goldberg wasn't on the show. Just, just to, I'm just going to throw this out there. The world champion is not on a major pay per view show. Just going to throw that out there. Make of it what you will. Not sure whether that sort of helped or hindered this because on the one side it could be you could be looking at it as oh it's a surprise Goldberg match, which in a sense is ridiculous because you know who books a world title match on a pay per view without oh wait this company. Um, or, but on the other hand, the fact he's not there allows Jericho to pull off this stunt, and I think it's great. You know, it's. Um, I just hope there's like a really good. I hope there's like a build to like a pay per view, but I'm not sure when it's going to be. I mean, if the winner of the War Games is going at Halloween Havoc, which having watched this show, we know they are, um, to drag us out over two months uh, for what is essentially a comedy angle does seem a little. I don't know. Doesn't seem the wisest of decisions. But I mean, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, it just wrong. Uh, it's just the situation surrounding it. Or it just seemed a bit not not in the right place, you know. Pete, your thoughts on the angle and and the match? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel a bit sorry for for Goldberg in a sense in all this, obviously because he's the one who's being sort of mocked and he's the world champion. But at the same time. Jericho does a fantastic job, you know, of hyping this up. The entrance thing was fantastic. People getting lost in the background area. Uh, it was a great comedy. And, and Jericho is becoming a bit of a master of, you know, the, the comedy skit that actually makes you laugh and makes a little bit of sense. Um, I haven't really got a big problem with this whole scenario, but will this lead to this Goldberg just squashing Jericho with a spear and a jackhammer and then it will be a bit of a, bit of a waste of time? But I think to keep it going the way it does is is a good thing. Uh, it wasn't a match, does it? Let's be honest. But I think it was a nice little sort of comedy interlude, quite light-hearted, bit of fun. Uh, but it is at the expense of Goldberg initially. I'm sure at some point, hopefully, he'll get that um, sort of look back and he can batter Jericho for almost mocking him because he's quite a serious guy. I mean, Goldberg doesn't play anything for. A comedy is very intense, isn't he? And Jericho isn't in that sense. So his day will come. But um, having had the start, it was just quite a nice little uh, little comedy interlude. So now I quite enjoyed it. I'm not quite as positive on this as, as you two, but like it, it, I, I do agree. But I just think maybe this would be fine on, on TV, but on pay per view, you've announced on the night that the, to the live crowd that Goldberg will be there. Uh, you do all the smarmy Jericho sort of heel comedy nonsense in the back on his way to the ring, and then you don't deliver Goldberg. Like you've you've kind of screwed the fans a bit. Like um, it was good comedy, don't get me wrong, but it's just more of a TV angle. This isn't pay per view worthy. Um, to put this on a pay per view, I feel like you kind of need to have the real Goldberg run in and, and just crush Jericho with a spear afterwards. Like, just, and then you've got Goldberg on the show. Okay, he's not in a match. You haven't booked him in a match because you'd have, I don't know why they haven't bothered booking him in a match. But um, 
I just feel like to make this worthy of sort of 10 minutes all in on of pay-per-view time, just give the live crowd a, a nice little Goldberg run in. Just He could be in street clothes. He spears Jericho out of his boots and then the build continues that way. But you just kind of... Jericho was excellent. So like my sort of negativity towards this angle was more about its placement and conclusion as opposed to anything that Jericho did here because he was really good and he is really good in this role. I just feel like it was... After that dud of an opener, you've then sort of messed the fans around with what they were expecting to get out of this match. Um, I was quite disappointed, really. Um, on the theme of Goldberg not having a match, um, I actually watched one of the funders this month of uh, sheer stupidity. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the main event featured uh, a tag match where... Um, Hang on, so I've got it written down here. Where uh, Big Show, uh, where, try that one again, where the Giant and Stevie Ray uh, took on Conan and DDP. Um, and at the end of the match, there was a big run in from Goldberg, where Goldberg speared uh, Giant. Now, neither of them are doing anything on this show. You'd think they could just crowbar that on as, um, as a semi main event title match. I know it's not exactly the fitting of the world champion, but neither of them are doing anything on this show. Um, and it would, ju- and it's like the net it- last month, it seemed like the next logical feud for Goldberg, uh, up until that battle Royal incident. So they could have just, I'm just saying they could have just thrown that on here. Um, and then when gold, and then when this thing did happen, maybe have Goldberg run Jericho off. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've done nothing with uh, to follow this up at all, have they, on, on any of the Nitros? I, no. Um, I, I mean, there was a match, I think, on the 28th where Goldberg, where Jericho was going to face the mini Goldberg again, but Goldberg came out carrying his unconscious carcass over, over his shoulder, speared Jericho's security, and Jericho got away, and that's the only other interaction they've had this month uh, from my notes here. And it's got the sort of thing... Mm, I don't, I'm, but yeah, no. This, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't mind if this even ended in like a five-minute match where Jericho got destroyed. But it, they just really doing nothing with it, and it's a shame because it, it, the the clash of characters is what makes it entertaining. The, the other thing you could have done with Goldberg on this show, um, I mean, I was going to touch on it later, but we're, it's on topic now. They announced just before the main event, uh, a main event that is for uh, a shot at Goldberg's title, no less. A main event that uh, Sting is involved in competing for a shot at Goldberg's title. They just announced that tomorrow night we've got Sting versus Goldberg for the title. So I'm like, okay, why is Sting in this match? What is the point of Sting? Coming out That's to wrestle right. for this match. So if you're going to do Sting, if you're going to do Sting versus Goldberg, take Sting out of the War Games match, put anyone else in his place, anyone else in his place, and give us Sting versus Goldberg on pay per view, and built like you could have built to that, and like that's that's a huge match. Or just don't give it away on free TV, like on a whim. Like yeah. there there was there was so many ways you could have got Goldberg onto this show, and okay, he's not announced for the show. But the pay-per-view itself in front of the live crowd is announced by Chris Jericho. Okay, he's a heel. Okay, 
you can say it gets heat and all, all these things. But we are told that Goldberg is going to be there. Goldberg is going to be in the match. Like they didn't build to it properly across Nitro or Thunder or anything like that. But you're told that at the start of the show. Then to like not even have him do like a 20 second run in. I feel like you've really pulled the rug out of the fans and, and not particularly in a, a good way for garnering heel heat for Chris Jericho, but in the kind of way that I think, oh, okay, like, oh, that was, that was rubbish. Like, and that is sad for sort of the company and sad as a fan, but it's also sad for Chris Jericho, who, as I said, was excellent in this angle. Really good. Oscar came yeah, here quite the... early. Sorry, we came here quite early, but it seems you know that Sting has a title shot. How did he earn that title shot? Because there's going to be a match at the end of this pay-per-view to determine who gets a title shot in their main event of War Games. And yet, 20 minutes into the pay-per-view, Sting's announced has got a title shot on Nitro tomorrow. So what's the point in the War Games match being for a title match? It just totally and utterly just made me think, well, what's the bloody point then? Why did they even bother having a title match? You've got a team warfare, which is what it's all been about with War Games. But it's anybody's, so there's naturally no, there are no teams. Just make it, I don't know, an eight-man or a six-man cage match. You know, winner takes all. But even so, why would you announce that Sting was going to take on Goldberg now? Do it on Nitro at the beginning, maybe. At least you've got something to build up to on that show. But why did we do it here so early? It just made the whole thing just null and void for me. Uh, anything more to touch on with the uh, Jericho Goldberg stuff, or mini Goldberg as it was? Um, actually, well, actually, you said about the Sting stuff. I actually made a, a note um, when I was watching the War Games match, thinking, well, what would happen if Sting won both the Nitro match and the War Games match and had to go to Halloween Havoc as the, in the main event and have to face himself? And I was like, um, Given, given Starcade last year, that's still not the most ridiculous booking we've had for Sting. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, moving on, next up we have Norman Smiley taking on Ernest the Cat Miller. Uh, before the bat, Cat says that by law, he has to warn Smiley that he can tear him apart in five seconds. Um, personally, I didn't want to waste too much time talking about this match. I thought it was Pretty horrible, a waste of space on the car, so might not break it down with the same sort of detail I normally give to my match reports. Um, we get some stalling early from the cat, uh, but for he hits a super kick and throws Smiley into the guardrail on the outside. Back in the ring, cats hit it with a few kicks and chops, but Norman fights back with a suplex and a leg drop for two. Miller hits an eye poke, followed by some horrible offence, and the crowd is booing. Uh, Smiley tries to hype the crowd, but he gets zero reaction. Uh, Norman also hits a vertical suplex, which gets two. Miller tries to springboard feliner off the top that barely connects. And he follows with another awful-looking kick for the for the merciful free count to bring a close to the match after five very long minutes. Uh, Adam, I'll come to you first. What did you make of this contest? Um, actually, before I mention the match, uh, the start of the show, that you mentioned, because I've got two rings, they're going to start alternate. They're going to alternate which ring each match happened in. Notice that stopped happening after the second match. Um, I think Davy Boy suffered an injury because of this trap door in that ring. But if you notice, no other, nothing else happens in that ring for the rest of the night um, up until the warrior emerges in it. Um, but no, on to this match. Uh, you know, they, they had three recaps of the cat on this pay-per-view leading up to this match. Uh, they had a pull-apart from earlier in the day. They had him 
attacking the Armstrong brothers on on Thunder, and then they had him attacking the attacking the Armstrong brothers on Thunder again to show the build up for this match. Um, and I'm just wondering why, because this guy's fucking awful. Um, uh, <laughs> I I don't think the crowd are that into him either. You know, they sort of boo him at points, but there then there are times where he's just talking and they. You look at that crowd and they just look bored. Um, it says a lot for his finish that it's more powerful standing than it is off the top rope. Um, although still looks equally as unimpressive. Um, uh, also, one final thing. He said it was going to take him five seconds to kill this guy, but it took him five minutes to beat him. What's up with that, eh? Uh, Pete, your thoughts on this contest and, uh, I suppose, Ernest the Cat Miller. <laughs> Uh, I think he's bloody annoying. He's got like three lines. He's I'm I'm the greatest. I'm the karate champion. I'm this. No one cares, obviously. Um, he's just got nothing about him. He's really dull. Norman Smiley is equally, obviously, as dull. And I don't even know why he's even in a pay per view match. Bless him in this this time. And uh, Adam made a great point. How can the second rope, uh, is it feline or as it's called, be less effective than a standing? Uh, kicks to the face. You would have thought the momentum from a from the top right would make it more devastating. There, I use that word, but clearly not in this case. Um, well, the answer there. Uh, to, sorry to interrupt. The answer there is that he completely fucked it up. There we go. <laughs> there we go. He barely even touched him. It was just yeah. oh, I don't know. And for for a karate champion, that's some going, isn't it? To be honest with you, to to miss a head kick <laughs> when you're the you're the three time world karate champion. So. I think I'll leave it there because I can't see anything else. It's just absolutely atrocious. And he's carried on for the rest of the month. We're just He's got no charisma. He's got nothing about him at all. And Chris, you're into your sort of mixed martial arts. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yes. Is, he, is he actually a karate world champion or was he? Or is he was, was he a junior at like 10 years old or something? Well, I actually right? have no idea uh, as to the legitimacy of his background. Um, I assume he's got some level, but... Certainly not. Um, I don't know. Certainly not to any sort of professional level or anything that I would touch on as a as an MMA fan. I'd be very very surprised um, yeah. because if he does, like he ha- he does a terrible job of <laughs> transitioning that into professional wrestling. Um, yeah. He if he does he's if he does have sort of some sort of semi professional credible mixed martial arts or also just or just martial arts background um then he is actually a worse pro wrestler than if he doesn't because i would expect more from him um so i'm not really entirely sure no it was it was terrible terrible yeah uh didn't need to be on the pay-per-view boring sloppy horrible the crowd couldn't have cared less about the match or either of the two guys in it Next up, we have a video package. Uh, I'll start that again. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have a video package covering the story between Scott and Rick Steiner so far. Uh, we have uh, that match is in fact next. We have Scott Steiner taking on Rick Steiner uh, with doctor's orders being ignored <laughs> for Scott Steiner, as we saw earlier in the night. We are underway in this brother versus brother match, and uh, Scott bails out of the ring and stalls to open. Back inside, and the slugfest is underway, but with Rick coming out on top. 
Scott takes a bump across the rings, nailing a stiff right hand, which was pretty nice. Scott bails out again to booze, but Rick follows this time and throws him into the guard route. Back in the ring, Rick's look, Rick looks to hit a suplex, but Buff distracts him, and Scott takes advantage with two low blows. Scott poses to Big Heat and hits a lariat. Rick cuts him off and hits a DDT before heading up top. Buff gets involved again and cuts him off, but this time Rick grabs him by the throat and throws him into the ring post. With Buff's neck, previous neck issues in mind, he lays there selling this on the apron for a very long time. The Steiners continue slugging it out both in and out of the ring, but the announcers are constantly selling the severity of Buff's, Buff's potential neck injury, although no one else in the arena seemed to buy it. Eventually, the ref just calls to an end to the match because of the injury to Buff's necks, with a very audible bullshit chant from the crowd in the background. For the next 10 minutes, medical staff come out and attend to Buff, eventually stretching him to the back and into the back of an ambulance, with a concerned Rick following along. Uh, Scott gets into the ambulance with Buff and uh, Rick turns his back, letting his guard down. Uh, when this happens, Scott and Buff burst out the back of the ambulance, uh, jump Rick from behind and uh, Buff Bagwell, who was faking his neck injury, and Scott Steiner uh, charge Rick, lay him out, jump him from behind and uh, put the boots to him backstage. Uh, Pete, I'll come to you first. What did you make of the uh, brother versus brother match and, and sort of the, the post-match angle? So I've got two points to make here. Um, obviously, this all broke down. I think it was February this year when Scott turned his back on Rick and sort of did the beat down and joined NWS by right, isn't it? February this year, I believe. We're now in September and we've still not had a proper Steiner versus Steiner uh, match of any kind of, you know, standing or um, of, of any note. That makes sense. We've had a few, you know, interview segments and there's been a few injuries along the way and running rick was injured uh, had a shoulder injury i believe at one point during it but they've come back i mean the second point which is the, the, the horrible sort of in really bad taste neck injury angle is just uh abhorrent really with with wrestlers who at any point in any match they compete in this could happen to them in a real world scenario and it's probably happened and will go on happening in the future. I think play it out like this, when genuinely the commentators seemed like either they weren't in on it or they were in on it, because it was very much towing the sort of company line of going, right, this guy's really hurt. We're really, really concerned about him. The crowd were kind of not quite sure what to do with themselves. And then when the old uh, stretcher comes out and he gets wheeled out, you're thinking, okay. But then as soon as they went in the back and Rick's there and the cameras are there, if this was something serious and happened in a real world, I don't think they would have followed a man who's potentially got a broken neck into an ambulance. So you knew almost immediately when that happened, they were going to come out, get all good to themselves and beat up Rick Steiner. And there ends the whole thing. I just thought, what a waste of a of a feud so far between these two. Because I want to see Rick and Scott just go at it, just beat the crap out of each other for 10, 15 minutes of, you know, lots of suplexes and all sorts of stuff they can do. But... We're not getting that. Are we going to get it? Who knows? I mean, obviously the news looks like there's going to be a no DQ match um, at Halloween Havoc. So, you know, fingers crossed Buff Bagwell is either, you know, backstage or not allowed to come out and be a part of it. Because it was just, it was just an angle. It was it was a nitro angle. We said that before already tonight. It wasn't really, it wasn't pay-per-view fodder because they shouldn't play out like this. And I think it was just in really poor taste and a waste of everyone's time. Adam, your thoughts. <laughs> 
Right. Um, yeah. Any any aspiring referees out there? Um, just going to throw this out there. Um, if someone has a neck injury in the ring, you stop everything from happening. That didn't happen here. Um, basically, the guy, the diners kept going for another minute or so after Buff started with the neck injury, um, and that's just a red flag. You know, if if there's a neck injury, you stop whatever's happening in the ring. And if you're a referee who doesn't do that, you're a fucking moron. Get out of the business. You're just going to hurt the boys. Because if you've got someone with a neck injury on the canvas, the last thing they need is for those boards to be bumping up and down under their neck. That's just going to do them more damage. And the fact that the ref didn't stop the match in a company like this, it's just a sign that something hasn't really gone wrong. When you look at a couple of weeks later on, on Raw, you had the Villano incident. The moment that that guy's neck snapped onto, onto that canvas, the referee just stopped everything. Because that's what you do in this situation. And the trouble is, maybe that's just me looking at it from the wrong point of view. But, yeah, anyone with any sort of knowledge of um, neck problems, they know you can't... They know that it's too dodgy for you you to allow anything to happen to that person uh, through fear it might make the injury worse. Um, and so the fact that this sham was then dragged out for several more minutes uh, until they loaded him in the ambulance um, and then they jump out the ambulance and Rick Steiner and jump Rick Steiner um, to which in my notes, I've just literally put, is that it? Oh, they've, they've dragged this feud out way too long now. The turn happens back in February, I believe it was. Um, and uh, it's just something about like brother versus brother feuds. It's very rare that the crowd actually wanted to see it happen. This is one of those instances where they do want to see the match, but they're not prepared to wait that long for it. I think the crowd have basically given up on, on this, and I don't blame them. Because, yeah, like I said, they, with it's very rare that a brother versus brother feud will actually draw long-term. Owen and Brett is one example. Undertaker and Kane, although that's not really a brother versus brother feud. Um, and that's also in a completely different realm because of the setup. But it's getting to the point now, I don't know how many people there are left that actually care about this. Um, all the value to this feud's gone it's just it's just irritating to watch and yeah the neck injury thing the moment he land, the moment the ref sees him down and doesn't stop it you just know you know it's phony and that really took it took me out of it what's really annoying um even if you take sort of the the morality aspect and how ethical an angle like this is, the fake neck injury, uh, neck injury for someone who's had well-documented neck issues. Um, on this pay-per-view so far, we've had the bad, lazy tag match. We've had the sham Jericho match and a hideous Ernest Miller match. These two come out. We get a bit of stalling to open. And then when they start going at and in the opening sort of 90 seconds and they start slugging away at each other, I'm into it. And I'm like, yeah, like I'll, I'm into this match. 
this is where the pay-per-view can start to turn around a bit. Like, I actually want to see this. And then the buff, I think the match was called off after about five minutes. So when buff goes down, that can't be much more than the three sort of minute mark into the match. It can't, like, be that late into it because he's down on the apron for a good while before the match gets thrown out. So we have all that, which is like a, a waste of my time. Um, and then we have 10 minutes more wasting my time with the angle with him being loaded backstage. And ultimately, it doesn't get heat on everyone. It just serves to piss me off and makes me feel like I'm wasting my time watching this pay-per-view. And I think when you start making your audience feel like they're wasting your time watching your pay-per-views, that's a bad precedent to set. Like, we're four matches in. Like, two of them have been more angle than match. It's not it's not a good sign. And normally you have WCW can get good work rate, good matches, and, and not always great stories. But you do normally get a good undercard. And if that starts slipping away, and this was a real sign for me of like, okay, we are in for a show uh, to remember and not for a good reason. Um, when I was excited for this match and like for like they can go they they can like deliver some hard hitting stuff like pete said like suplexes and clubbing away at each other just a mean guy brother versus brother sort of blood feud and we just didn't get it they tore it away for unethical for a immoral for a very phony and very see-through angle which uh, uh didn't do anything apart from annoying me the viewer Next up, we have uh, Juventus Guerrero versus Silver King for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Uh, Hoovy goes for an armbar early, but Silver King rows through and hits a dropkick. Juvie follows with some chops. They crisscross, and Juvie hits her head scissors to put Silver King down. Uh, Juvie hits a sprinkle runner and follows with a clothesline for two. Silver King hits a dropkick and kicks Juvie around. Uh, he hits a hot shot into the ropes before posing. Silver King hits a snap tilt to world backbreaker and follows with a muscle buster, which only gets two. King kicks Hoovy to the floor and hits a springboard plancher back inside. They both they botch a sunset flip and King resorts to chopping him to try and save the spot. They repeat it and finally hit it with Hoovy rolling him up for two. And this was a real horrible sequence. I think it was three times they tried it here. It was quite quite the mess up. Uh, Hoovy hits ten punches in the corner and a missile drop kick off the top. Silver King comes back with a super kick. Hoovy fights back and hits a reverse Varana off the top, which was excellent, but only gets two. Hoovy looks for the Hoovy driver, but Silver King gets a small package for two. Silver King looks for a springboard Cabrada, but misses, which allows Hoovy to hit a Hoovy driver and a 450 splash for the win to retain his title. Uh, Adam, we'll come to you first. What did you make of our Cruiserweight title match? Uh, as a match? Yeah, it's really good. Um... You know, Silver King is uh, considerably heavier than Tuvi, although still a cruiserweight. So that meant that uh, they could actually not so much. They couldn't go so much big man, little man. But there was uh, there was definite, you know, some sense of peril as when you see some of the stuff Silver King does. So it wasn't just move, 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 move. There is there was a little bit of psychology of bigger guy facing little guy in the match, which a lot of WCW cruiserweight matches sometimes fall down on. Um, so yeah, as, as far as the work goes, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the work. Um, it's just my, I mean, it's, this isn't just a cruiserweight thing. This is 
pretty much every title in WCW at the minute. But how do they decide the rankings for these? I mean, they mentioned that Silver King had a shot a few weeks ago and got himself disqualified. And I'm questioning, why does that make him the number one contender? But then I sort of look and it's a case of, well, he's not even close. He's not even in the top five most established cruiserweights they've got on the roster right now. So so aside from the fact he's already got himself disqualified against Juventud, how is he the number one contender when there are so many more cruiserweights who are arguably more deserving? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, match fine. Uh, the setup for it and the reason and just the general rankings of the cruiserweights just continues to baffle me. Pete, your thoughts on the uh, cruiserweight title match? Yeah, I think compared to the previous four you've already gone through, Chris, this was a, a welcome uh, sort of slightly upward uh, notion regarding match quality. And these two uh, put on a pretty decent match, to be fair. Uh, made a great point there, Adam, regarding sort of Silver King being a touch bigger than uh, than UV. Made it a bit of a, a different type of match, I suppose, and it could they could play off that way quite well. The sunset flip spots, but that bit was just oh my god! And I think I think I, I wrote down that um, I think Tony Shivani made a, a point of saying it was a precise science or something or rather during the match after they'd mucked up that about the third time in a row. I'm not quite sure what he was trying to get across there, but he, he was trying to cover for them in some way. But if you've blown it once or twice, just leave it. Do, go somewhere else. Don't keep going back to it again. It was just a, bit, a very strange thing for those two to do. But I think the last couple of minutes were really good. And obviously, it's always great to see the uh, the 450 to end any match. So I, I left the crowd on a bit of a high. And he was quite over with the crowd even too as well. So that bodes well for him and does bode well for the Cruiserweight title. But... Again, this did feel a bit like another Nitro match. That They just come out with a random opponent from out of nowhere. They have a good, decent seven, eight-minute match, and off we go. It didn't, it didn't have anything towards, there's no build for the title. There's been no feuding going on really as such, which is a shame, because I think as you, there's plenty of people in there who they could start building things around. But in terms of this show, so far, this is by far and away the match of the night. So, good effort. Yeah, I have to, uh, I have to agree. Um, this is probably the match of the night so far, but it was quite messy. It was quite sloppy, and um, that the sunset flip spot was a real negative. Like it took away from the match a great deal, it was a big detriment. And uh, I think with these two guys, I probably expected a bit more, but by the sort of standard of this card up until this point this was by far and away like this is on another planet to what we'd had so far on the card so i don't want to be too negative about it because it's a sort of a speck of hope in a very dark world like that this show had been up until this point but even then i don't want to go too far with its praise because i think in the grand scheme of things outside of the bubble of this show um it was good. It was all right, but I don't think it was anything special um, for me personally. Backstage, uh, Lee Marshall was with Conan, and he asks how it feels to be fighting former stablemate Scott Hall tonight. Uh, Conan alludes to Hall's well-known real-life drinking problems before Hall interrupts with a beer in hand. Uh, Hall throws the beer at Conan, and, and sort of that the segment breaks down. Uh, so WCW blurring the lines of reality by using Hall's very rule. Uh, real life 
battle with alcohol uh, in wrestling storyline. So stay classy, WCW. Next up, uh, we have Perry Saturn facing Raven in a Raven's Rules match that if Raven won, Saturn would have to rejoin the flock. And if Saturn won, the flock would be disbanded. Uh, we get the last minute added stip that Kanye would be handcuffed to the ring post. Uh, Raven and Saturn both cut short promos before the match, uh, but Raven uh, gets the match going, sneaking in a hot shot for two to start things off early. Raven hits a knee lift, he taunts the crowd, but Saturn fights back with a boot in the corner and a super kick. Saturn hits an inverted atomic drop and a crossbody for two. He heads up to the top and hits a money splash for another two count. Lodi distracts Raven. Oh, sorry, Lodi distracts and Raven takes advantage. Uh, Saturn blocks a suplex and Raven bails out of the ring. Saturn follows with a suicide dive to the outside. Lodi throws Saturn into the guardrail. Back in the ring, Raven hits a snapmare and an elbow drop for two. Saturn rolls through on a sunset flip and gets a cradle for another two count. Raven hits a clothesline and locks on a sleeper, but Saturn counters with a jawbreaker. Saturn gets a two with a backslide, but Raven boots him down. Saturn fights back with a blatant low blow before hitting a nice drop tile hold onto a chair. The flock comes out and they're carrying a table. Kevin turns on Raven and he hits a missile drop kick on him, but the flock chase him off. Saturn takes advantage. It's a DVD on Raven and the crowd goes wild, but Lodi is able to distract the ref long enough for the cover to only get two. Saturn hits a T-bone suplex and a springboard leg drop for two. Saturn locks on the rings of Saturn, but Lodi gets involved once again and breaks it up. Saturn hits another low blow on Raven and crotches Lodi on the top rope. The ref gets bumped right next to Canyon, who then takes advantage, stealing the handcuff key and unlocking himself from the post. He hits a flatliner and places Raven on top for the cover and then recuffs himself to the post. The ref comes to and counts the pin, but this gets 2.9. Saturn hits a third low blow on Raven. Saturn then hits a DVD off the apron through the table brought out by the flock on Lodi. But Raven then takes advantage of this to hit a DDT, but this also gets 2.9. The crowd are absolutely loving this. Saturn fights back, driving Raven into the corner. He hits a DVD, which this time is enough for the free count, bringing the end to the match and the flock. Uh, Pete, I'll come to you first. What did you make of this match? I actually really enjoyed it, and I think the crowd really enjoyed it as well. There was there was the near falls really got the crowd into the fact there was going to be an ending, and then there were so many near misses. They were just. I think they had them in their lap at one point. I mean, that was great after quite, you know, it was about a 14, 15 minute match. So to have them still, you know, really hooked into it towards the end was a credit to both of these guys. And the fact that we didn't have masses of interference that like we've seen previously where the match was going to end because of it. I mean, obviously uh, the flock came out and I like the way Kidman got a great pop from from doing the uh, his move on, on Raven. That's quite nice. Um, I think Canyon's probably one of the best cheaters ever by actually unhandcuffing um sorry handcuffing himself you know doing his move and then going outside and rehandcuffing himself was quite a smart bit of a bit of a thing to do obviously it back backfired in the end um but it's quite nice he didn't then get involved again so it was good that they could just have their finish um and i think it's a good way not to end the feud because i think obviously it's still going to go on because now the flock of disbanded i think obviously on the following night as it plays out a bit as to what's happening but it does mean, you know, some of the other guys are going to get a bit more of a look maybe now. You know, people like Kidman, uh, I'm not sure about Lodi, but and it, even Saturn himself, I think, has been, you know, 
from his ECW days as one of a you know one of the standout performers. It's good to see him get you know good look and they need to stop all the breaking finger angles because they're just ridiculous on Nitro. I think the one the one before this show was you know break his fingers and we're supposed to believe that you know he's had his fingers broken and vice versa was a bit of a, a bit of a tough sell if I'm honest. But this match was this was not probably classically the match of the night but i think for what's gone on before and we've actually had a really a, a decent enough storyline this is one match that had that and had an ending that the crowd wanted and made sense so for me it was good and i really enjoyed it i think it's going to work in in wcw's favor now with with saturn potentially people like kidman moving forward so it has done something and elevated some people so surely a few should always try and do that so it was a win-win for me Adam, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Um, I mean, it, the match itself uh, really good. I mean, there's a couple of issues of putting in, do we really need a ref bump in an ODQ match? But although that did set up the Canyon interference really well, um, the video package beforehand, they didn't, they could have done better, I feel, you know. It's, WCW have some great production people there. And instead, they just showed replays from the last couple of Thunders and Nitros. Um, and it, I feel, kind of took the impact out of what Saturn was fighting for here. Um, also, it kind of dragged on a bit, whereas if they'd done just a short, sharp video package, boom, it would have been quite quick and it would have kept got everyone up to speed. Um why is the canyon thing been added at the last second? But you know, I don't have a problem with that in retrospect. Um, put a random quote, note about uh, we saw the rings, we saw uh, Saturn put the rings of Saturn on Raven, and actually, just in a bit of a joke, wrote, uh, being the masochist he is, would Raven actually tap to that anyway? Um, but yeah, no, the match itself, uh, really good, probably one of the best that either man's had in WCW um, I'm just wondering now what's going to happen to the flock I mean while none of none of the others actually had a match on this show at least they were featured as a result of being associated with Raven now they're not associated with Raven what are they what are they doing I'm thinking a lot of them are just going to kind of fall into the into the ether um, I mean they're doing something with Kidman I mean I've my qualms about how they've booked that, but they certainly seem to have something in mind for him. Um, Lodi's Lodi seems to have something going on, but the rest, um, yeah, they just seem to have kind of fallen into a nothingness over the last month, uh, which is a shame because you because this could could have been a big boost for them. I mean, Riggs, I think, is a fairly good talent, and it looks like now he's the He's got a. He's just going to be sort of skulking around the undercard unless he, unless he finds something for himself. I thought this was probably my favourite match of the night. Well, no, actually, it definitely was my favourite match of the night. Um, I thought the story was excellent, and uh, this is like a. And I don't recommend this as a as a booking method, but this is the only plus you get from booking so many crap cheap finishes like you could hear the the audible groaning of the crowd uh particularly after canyon's interference and 
and when the ref came to and was counting the cover and they audibly groaning that this was another sort of sham finish this is the end of the match and and this feud must continue that saturn's going to rejoin the flock and they didn't want that outcome and you could hear them expecting that outcome because that's what wcw does so many times you get crap cheap finishes with interference or disqualifications or cheap heel wins and then when saturn kicked out it took this match to another level for them um they expected to be let down and disappointed but as fans we weren't in this match uh it happened again where saturn hit the dvd uh through the table off the apron and raven took advantage to hit a ddt in the ring for the cover and thought oh no this is like where saturn is going to get beat and when he kicked out of that again i thought the crowd were really into it and the story was excellent i as you couldn't have booked the story of this match any better um which isn't something i would often say about wcw so i want to make a note of that really and sort of emphasize that this was perfectly executed and in terms of crowd reaction and sort of like getting the most out of the story you try and tell this is perfectly executed um particularly sort of the last sort of 40 percent of the match i've really enjoyed it and probably my highlight of the night next up we have kurt henning versus d malenko in a rematch from nitro last week differences on nitro they had a cage match but here we have a regular singles match which seems completely backwards dean comes out fast beating kurt down Henning bails Malenko doesn't let up works on the leg Malenko hits a drop kick into the guardrail and head on henning's knee Rude tries to hit Malenko, who ducks and kicks Rude down too. Dean wraps Henning's knee around the ring post. Back inside, Henning tries to slam, but his knee buckles. Rude slams on the apron, which distracts the ref long enough for Henning to hit an eye poke. Malenko takes control again uh, by clipping the knee. He looks for the clover leaf, but Henning hits another eye poke, this time right in front of the ref to no consequence. Henning crawls to the floor, setting the leg. Rude tries to help him to the back for a count-out loss, but Malenko jumps them both. Dean applies the leg grapevine, but Rude pulls Hennig to the ropes. Hennig kicks himself free, but Malenko hits a back suplex. Hennig fights back. He looks for the perfect flex, but his knee gives out. Malenko hits a fisherman suplex of his own, and Rude is seen enough, attacking Malenko for the DQ. Rude and Hennig team up after the match, but Arn Anderson makes the save. Henning runs down. Uh, Henning takes Arn down, and uh, Henning and Rude double team Arn two. Henning and Rude stand tall, having both beaten both uh, Malenko and Anderson down. No one makes the save. Uh, Adam, I'll come to you first. What did you think of the match and the post-match angle? Uh, I think you stated it quite well when you said that you know who books the cage match before the the singles match. Um, all over my notes, I've got why is there no Arn Anderson? Because after Nitro, um, it's obvious that Dean needed someone in his corner after all the King's Horses and all the King's Men did that run-in. Um, and the fact that Arn Anderson did a run-in at the end of the match shows he, he was there, which just made me think, so why wasn't he there at the start of the match when Rick Rude was there the whole time? Um why are they doing cheap DQ finishes on a pay-per-view? I mean, this is this is not a feud that they seem to be going anywhere with, you know, if for no other reason than they didn't book perfect um, headache even on any of the shows following 
this pay-per-view. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, why couldn't they have just done a clean finish here? Or why couldn't they have done the cage match here? Because, you know, a no contest in a cage match is mildly ridiculous. Um, it's a shame because these two, I think, could work quite well together. Uh, Malenko seems to be reasonably over considering, you know, he's, he's not exactly seen as the most charismatic of guys, but he does what he does really well. Um, Hennig is a safe hand. Um, and yeah, and having Rude in his corner adds some extra heat to him. You know, if I, I mean, I have an, I'm wondering if, if the no finish would have been an issue if, if they continued it on TV afterwards, but no, I think I still would have had the issue with the no finish. So I no idea what they're doing with this one. Pete, your thoughts on this match? It was a bit odd, as you say, to go from the cage match on Nitro to a straight match on a pay-per-view. Um, and let's not forget, Hennig was the one who turned his back on the horseman and slammed Flair's head in the cage. So there should have been a lot more probably heat for like Arn Anderson to be more involved because at the end of the day, that almost sort of broke up the horseman. And obviously, Flair was injured as part of it, and that's what kind of created all that drama. But I thought the running was good, gave the crowd an opportunity to obviously give Arn a, a good pop there and... But then he got beaten down. So it was kind of like he came to the rescue and then got beaten down. And you're waiting. Was this the moment we were going to see Flair or the Horseman come out and, you know, get that bit of nostalgia and get the crowd really into it? But we, we didn't get any of that. We were just left with Rude and Hennig sort of standing tall, which was really a weird thing to, to leave the match as it was. And Malenko, I'm not a massive Malenko fan. I think he's he's obviously very technically gifted and very good in the ring, but doesn't emit enough sort of charisma, whereas I think Hennig over the years has done. So I think he can definitely carry Malenko to a lot more and better than this. But why did we have this DQ yet again, Nitro finish where you've got the potential for a decent match just so quickly and easily DQ'd out and ended just to give Arn Anderson an opportunity to run out and almost take them on, but then get beaten down again. So it wasn't even like he was standing tall and, you know, this led obviously into, you know, the Nitro where we did see the big return. But I just think, no, it's been a wasted moment for me. And it could have been so much more, but just a bit more Nitro fodder. It wasn't a pay-per-view match. The cage match was, was a bit of a cluster, you know, what, on Nitro. But they could have done the complete reverse, I think, on both of these and done the no DQ, you know, or DQ finish in a straight match on Nitro leading up to this cage match where no one can get in and, and, and get involved. Just just get going with it, but it didn't happen. So just really confusing, to be honest with you. That's what, that's what I left the match thinking. Um, to both of you, would, well, I'll go to Adam first. Would you, outside of this pay-per-view, uh, would you have done the flair return here? Rather than on Nitro, knowing how Flair, how good the Flair return was, and and knowing that at the end of this angle, would you have had Flair come back here on pay per view? Um, uh, trouble is if you if you put the Flair return here, well, would you say put 
putting the flare return here, but keeping the booking of the match as it was. Yeah, um, maybe he makes the save for Arn at the end or something like that. Maybe. Um, I think that would have. Been, I, I don't know. I feel that would have taken the wind out of it a bit. I, I think the build-up that they were doing for that nitro really helped the flare return where it was. Um, also, it would have drawn more attention to this pay-per-view, which I don't think is a good idea. It's not a pay-per-view worth having more eyes on it, um, even if it's for a great moment like like that flare return would have been. I, I think that return was safer on Nitro. If for no other reason, then this is just an atrocious show, um, and it would give more and it would give more people a reason to watch this this atrocity. Pete, same question. Would would you have uh, would you have done anything different with Flair this month? Would you have had him try and come back here, and and also like you could have also done the segment with him on on the fourteenth, albeit slightly different, or would you have left things as they are? No, I think to have him return here, I think we've already mentioned this show is just it's it's a non event in a in effect, and I don't think <laughs> if they hadn't promoted Flair to return on this show, the pay per view buy rate may have gone up to see that but looking at the, the the sort of rating that they managed to get from flair's return that's what they're more interested in i think it's but they're more interested in getting the rating the than they are probably probably the pay-per-view so i just think i'm going to come out and maybe held his own held him off maybe as opposed to being beaten down and left maybe just you know come in and i'll stand over you know fallen malenko but you come in here i'm going to i'm going to beat you both up you know go away kind of thing in, in, in a way but I think it was a, 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 a probably made the flare return with Arn even bigger, I suppose. Maybe it did work out for the best, but I don't think flare returning in this particular angle would have worked very well at all, unless they had pre-booked the whole scenario that we are definitely going to see flare return and the crowd are chanting throughout the night and then eventually does get it. But that wasn't really the case. The crowd had a few organic flare chants, but yeah, it, it would have taken away from the moment we've got coming up. So. No, for me, I think they should have left it as it was, but I just think the way they booked Arm maybe was a bit was a bit shit, if I'm honest. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, for me, this this was, I don't know, I, I praised the sort of structure of a match for the for the Raven match um, just before this, but I think this match was hurt by its placement on the card. It was obviously a Malenko match, very psychology, very tech psychology heavy very technical and it couldn't follow that high energy sort of passion that the Saturn Raven match had before it so aside from the crappy finish I thought this was a fairly inoffensive pretty good match um that was really hurt by f having to follow the the high energy in the, the intensity and sort of the emotion that the crowd had for the Saturn Raven match and uh, I agree I, I, with the post-match anger I agree I'd have liked to see Arn hold his own a bit more um there would have probably been for the better but in the context of sort of the return of flair maybe this was the right thing i'm not sure but, but i would have probably liked to see arm do a better job uh holding the two off next up we have scott hall versus conan uh hall came down to the ring with a drink he actually gets in the wrong ring before posing on the turnbuckle. Uh, then Hall gets on the mic, and this goes on a bit too long with the crowd getting restless. Conan comes out, and uh, the two men probably use up a good 10 minutes of pay-per-view time, cutting not very good, not very funny promos ahead of the match. Uh, 
We are underway, and uh, Hall ducks out of the ring again to steal some more. Uh, both guys trade taunts for a while as the stalling continues. Uh, they trade a bit of arm work, and the crowd is surprisingly into this because I was not at all. Uh, Hall goes for sort of a comedy test of strength, um, but Conan just knocks him down. So Hall bails outside again. Uh, Vincent tries to distract Conan, um, uh, but he still catches Hall trying to sneak attack him. Hall plays drunk on the outside, counting along with a ref rather than getting back in the ring, but does in fact get back in at nine. We get some more stalling with Hall locking on a rest hold for a prolonged period, um, which actually has the announcers point out and say, I think as Tony says, he's had this on for quite a while. Hall hits a low blow behind the ref's back, which gets a two count. Hall then follows with a suplex for another two count, and we go back to the rest hold. Hall gets a drink from Vincent and uses the top rope for leverage as he has an abdominal stretch on. Uh, Conan locks a stretch of his own on, but Hall counters out of it with a hip toss. Hall hits a clothesline in the back suplex. Conan then hits the X-Factor and follows with the Takeda Sunrise for the submission victory after 12 slow minutes of, and I say this loosely, action. Uh, Pete, I'll come to you first. Your thoughts on this match? Um, I think to begin, we have to sort of mention obviously Scott Hall and you know this sort of it's not obviously a gimmick clearly I mean but part of you thinks is this guy such a really good actor that he is pissed or is he not pissed but obviously I think we know there are some issues obviously with Scott Hall and play this now you know in a live professional wrestling ring I think is uh is again in very poor taste not for the first time tonight um and I don't know how this went on for so long as well i don't know why they couldn't just do like a little comedy kind of thing with the drunk and i know he flukes a pin or you know conan just takes pity on him and just takes him out straight away with the tequila sunrise and ends it this just went on and on and on uh, i'm glad conan won because i think it would have been an absolute travesty if, <laughs> if basically a drunk man enters a ring and somehow beats a, a non non-drunk but I didn't like it. I don't like the way this is playing out. It's too close to, to the bone for, for many reasons. So, no, I think mean, it's just awful, really. And to think how far Scott Hall's fallen, you know, Scott Hall was one of the, the darlings of this podcast over the past probably two years. To see where he is right now is a, is a, is a tragedy, really. And let's hope in time he can, he can sort himself out. But as he stands right now, it's just... And for them to let him walk out with drinks and and carry on, you know, playing this out, I think is again in such poor taste. But I guess someone's idea of either a bit of fun or an angle, um, we'll see where it goes. But the match was, I mean, Conan's pretty naff anyway, so it was never going to be great. But I'm glad he won because I think he deserved it because he wasn't drunk, basically. Adam, um, let's see. Yeah, you know, out of all the matches on this card, um, you know, you've got two rings set up side by side. I think the only one that made any sort of use of the fact that they had two rings. Um, I was quite surprised by that. Also, the funniness of uh, someone apparently really drunk tapping out to, as a result of something called the Tequila Sunrise. Um, and that's all the good points I had to say about this match. <sighs> Using someone's personal issues like this is I'm trying to find a good word for it, but I can't. Um, there's no positive I can find in that. The fact that Scott Hall 
over the last little while has has a history of uh, drunk of drinking and issues with that. Um, he's had various car accidents as a result of drunk driving. The fact that WCW's way of dealing with that is to bring it on screen like this is is reprehensible. I think um, you know take out if you just look at wrestling for what it is and it's two guys working with each other to put on a performance what you're literally putting your body into and your health into someone else's hands the last thing you want them to be is is inebriated because you know if something goes wrong that's that's your neck they're cracking uh, in half uh, as they drop you on your head in the fact that WCW are allowing, are actually promoting the fact that he is in this state. I, I mean, I hope he's not in as bad a state as he comes across on screen because that's just horrifying. I mean, I'm a big mark for Scott Hall, but if he, if he's actually in this condition, stepping into the ring, I, I, I would have no respect for the man whatsoever. Um, there is nothing good coming out of this angle. Um. Just on a random note, I put, you know, we've got the two boring NWO factions. This is, like, I think, the biggest um, match between where the two sides are sort of squared off, uh, the red and black uh, versus the black and white. Um, and that's quite sad considering, you know, Conan is without a doubt the lowest on the totem pole uh, in the Wolfpack. Um, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that he'd win here because oh what's going on with Scott also on a, another aside um, it's mentioned that Scott Hall was one half of the tag team champions but someone in this match um, a fact I completely forgot about until it was brought up and you actually look at the results from this month all the television results the tag champions have both been featured in I think two tag matches each this month. Um, neither with the tag team partners who they are ho currently holding the titles with, um, which comes back to what I was saying about the cruiserweight division of how are they deciding the rankings for the tag team titles? And because they've not been defended this month at all. I've forgotten who is Adam. Who is the tag team titles? It's it's Scott Hall and the Giant. That's what I mean. <laughs> how crazy is that? <laughs> But you look at, but they've had NWO tag matches, and both of them have teamed with Stevie Ray. And it's a case of, well, hang on a minute, if they're the champions, why aren't they teaming with each other? Yeah. Uh, I I did a rant on when I did uh, the Fed a, a couple of months ago about, uh, you know, what the tag team titles are supposed to represent. Uh, I won't go into that now, but you know, have, have a listen to that. That, you know, because that. That's, uh... That sums up my thought here pretty much uh, with regards to the tag titles. But this whole angle, look, if, if Hall is really that much of a problem, turn him to rehab. If that doesn't work, you you may just have to cut him from the from the comfort, from the roster. He's if he's really that much of an issue, you can't keep him around. He's not in this state. It's not going to do your company any favors to have someone like who's suffering those sort of issues being pushed in such a prominent position. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
you, you both covered that pretty comprehensively. I don't, I, I don't know. I have too much more to add to that, apart from just to echo the thoughts of sort of how in poor taste it is to use this angle and like you're you're right to point out the sort of fall from podcasting grace for scott hall and uh it's, it's not in a good way and to take advantage of that to try and get comedy out of it on a pay-per-view and like this all in like entrances pre-match stuff it was well past the 20 minute mark and that is like far too long for me to like if the gag is like ha ha look at scott hall he has a drinking problem like number one like not many people are going to find that funny number two if they do it will be for like 10 seconds and this was like 20 minutes plus of ha ha look at the drunk man like it it's a bad idea let alone on a pay-per-view like i don't know what potential positive you could get out of this angle um really poor stuff uh and it was just in keeping with sort of the quality this pay-per-view had outputted up until this point it's been pretty low low standard stuff speaking of low standard stuff it's time for our main event of the evening as we have the war games uh, with team hollywood which is hogan stevie ray and bret hart taking on team wolfpack sting kevin nash and lex luger versus team wcw ddp warrior and piper Against tradition, the rules of this war game is the first one to score a pinfall at any point during the match would be the number one contender to Goldberg's title. So there's no real need for sort of the three teams, really, because it's kind of all every man for himself. First pinfall, person to get it is the number one contender, and that's that. DDP and Brett get us started, uh, and we hear that Goldberg will be facing Sting tomorrow night on Nitro for the title. And why I, I just had the note here, why aren't we watching that on pay-per-view instead of this? Take Sting out of the match, replace him with literally anyone else and give us Goldberg versus Sting in the main event. Too much to ask for. Back to the match. Brett works over DDP's arm, but DDP fires back with a shoulder block. DDP hits a belly-to-belly for two. He looks at the diamond cutter, but Brett bails into the corner and hits snake eyes. Brett hits a DDT. Brett follows with a lush, Russian leg sweep for two and a small package, which also gets two. DDP fights back with a lariat and Stevie Ray enters the match next. Stevie attacks DDP, who fights back with a double clothesline. Sting is next and the crowd comes alive. Sting and Stevie fight in the first ring until Stevie begs off into the second ring, but Sting hits a stinger splash plancher across to the second ring. Uh, DDP hits a low blow on Brett and Sting rams Stevie into the cage as Brett hits a pile driver on DDP. Piper is the next entrant. He hits everyone, including teammate DDP. Piper bites Stevie's nose before three. Stevie hits a throat punch. DDP and Piper collide again, and Piper lays him out once more before Luger enters the match. Luger jumps on Stevie before going for Piper. But Brett hits an atomic drop on Luger, and Nash is our next entrant. Uh, Kevin Nash comes in and tosses Piper around looking for a jackknife on DDP, but Hogan has snuck out early before his time and he lays out Nash and Piper with the slapjack. Luger has Brett in the rack, but Hogan breaks it up before laying out Brett too. Hogan leg drops Nash and all of a sudden the ring fills with smoke and we have the warrior. He appears in the ring. Hogan goes for him and tackles him to the mat, but we get more smoke and the warrior has again disappeared. 
then we have sort of we cut back and warrior comes charging down the entrance ramp so more magic from warrior there uh warrior cleans house only to be cut off by stevie ray <laughs> stevie ray lays in the rights on warrior disciple pulls hogan out of the cage and warrior fights his way out and chases hogan to the back they brawl on all hell blakes those backstage as security tries to separate them but back in the ring DDP takes advantage of all this mess to hit a diamond cutter on Stevie for the pin to bring a match to the close to earn himself the number one contendership. Um, Adam, uh, I'll come to you first. Uh, thoughts on this War Games match? Oh, where to begin? Where to begin? Um, okay, so the whole point of the War Games was to build to the match beyond. The first thing that Sony Shivani says after welcoming us to the pay-per-view is they're not doing that. This match could literally end in five minutes uh, with Paige and Brett pinning one or the other. And it just kind of, and it's like, well, that just kind of takes out all the build of the match. I mean, it, I guess it adds a sense of, you know, uh, a sense of uh, it could end at any time, but I don't know. I think, one of my big issues with this is the fact they call it war games and it really resembles, it's literally war games in name only. Um, also, look at the look at the teams. They had uh, Piper, Page, Warrior, um, they had Sting, Luger, Nash, they had uh, Brett, Hogan, Stevie Ray. Um, it's like the old song, one of these things just ain't like the other. Um Really, why was Stevie Ray in there? I, it's, are they really trying to push him as a main event guy? Um, I mean, on, on Nitro, they're actually talking about uh, Hogan was trying to push for the Giant to take Brett's place. I'm thinking he was looking at uh, kicking the wrong guy out. He should have been looking for the Giant to take Stevie Ray's place because, you know, there would have been someone who could have credibly won this match. Um, oh, uh the warrior stuff um obviously the first warrior to turn up in the cage wasn't the warrior it was the renegade the renegade who then went on to have a match against wrath the next week on nitro um which is a little odd considering the, all the renegade is is a warrior knockoff so why would you have a warrior knockoff when you're trying to push the actual warrior um also uh, they locked the warrior in the cage. The warrior who was just magically appeared and disappeared in the cage. So I don't see why that would have would change anything. Except suddenly he can't disappear out of the cage. He has to kick the cage wall off. Um, oh, this match is making my head hurt, and I'm only halfway through my notes here. Um, uh, yes, we finally. Uh, again, nothing happens in the other ring other than the Warrior turning up in it. So I really hope WCW were were happy with that trapdoor because it it really stifled the action. And I feel like a lot. I feel a lot of those matches, uh, especially the cruiserweight matches, could have done something fun, jumping from one ring to the other. But um, that's beside the point. Um, again, we've we've covered the Sting facing Goldberg thing and. Uh, I mean, in, in fairness, that match itself is is a no win scenario because um, obviously everyone in WCW love uh, all the WCW fans like they love Sting. 
but the thing they love about Goldberg is the fact that he's undefeated. So for Sting to defeat Goldberg, he's, it cannot, it's a no-win situation. Um, and in fact, the thing they did on Nitro, as bad as it was, is probably the best way they could have gotten around that. Um, the teams, there was no order to them entering. They, they drew a random lottery, which one of the things with war games was, was one t- team would always have the man advantage that not necessarily the case because of that system. And it meant that, uh, NWA Wolfpack didn't come in till I think fourth entry or the fifth entry, which is kind of, which like, I, uh, one thing that Piper summed up in his interview on nitro beforehand was, in fact, this isn't a, a team thing. It's a singles thing, and it shouldn't be treated like a team thing, um, which, again, kind of un- undermines the whole fact it's called War Games. Like, like I said, War Games in name only. Um, I think... I, I fucking hate triple threats anyway. You, I, I think it comes from... I've been to a few indie shows which have had triple threats on, and they just reek of someone didn't show up, so we've thrown this match together instead. Um, because the way triple threats work is most of them don't. It just involves an awkward heat segment where one person takes a move, sits on the outside for 10 minutes and just switches out. I've, I mean, there are some good ones out there, but they, but over the last couple of years, we've seen more and more of them and it's a case of diminishing returns. Um, they wanted to do a war games match. They have two factions. They had the Wolfpack, they had the Red and Black. Um, they could have just done something different with Hogan. Had because they're trying to build to Nash versus Hall. They could have not had the Hall match. They could have had Nash leading the Wolfpack against Hall's black and white. Um, they could have had, then there was one less match in the card. They could have replaced that with a world title match. Um, the only good thing to come out of this was was Paige winning, but again, like I said, they could have done a standard war games match between the two NWO factions and had Paige in a different match where he won the number one contendership because it's not like the other two members of his team were actually relevant in this match. The Warrior, uh, he shouldn't have been in this match. He's he's an attraction that they've brought in, and it's a case of, and it's blatantly obvious that he's in there for Hogan, so no one believed he was winning. Uh, Piper, I'm not saying he's not relevant, but the fact that we've not seen him since. Um, yeah, awful. Just the whole thing, awful. Page victory is the best thing that could have happened here. Um, he pinned the only guy who was probably prepared to lose to him, uh, which actually didn't hinder Page at all, I think, surprisingly. But it... Yeah, there's there's just nothing redeeming about this match other than the page victory, and even that could have been done. That could have been done in a singles match elsewhere on this show. So, um, yeah, screw it, screw it. Hate this match. <laughs> well, uh, Pete, uh, follow that. I'm not quite sure I follow that really, but um, <laughs> I think. For me, going back, what we're looking 1992 when you had the Dangerous Alliance versus Sting Squadron in probably what was sort of probably the zenith of war games in terms of two warring factions in a cage 
beating the crap out of each other. There was blood, there was violence, there was a meaning to it. And it was a, you know, it still stands up now, I think, to being a pretty decent match. And a lot of it made sense. Fast forward six years to this, this should never have been a War Games match. You had teams that aren't teams. So you've got um, DDP and Piper and, and Warrior, apparently, as a as Team WCW, as it were. But as soon as looking Piper walks in, as we all know, first person he goes straight after is DDP. You know, the NWO pretty much stick to their end of the bargain. They're not going to go and beat each other up as such. But it was just an absolute just calamity. It was just another excuse to get more smoke in the ring, to let our good mate Warrior come and do his business with Hogan, who, who snuck out a bit early to get a little bit of heat on himself. What made me laugh, though, when Hogan did escape and left Warrior in the ring, Stevie Ray actually beats down Warrior for about a minute or two, and Warrior has to sell for Stevie Ray, which is like, what in what is going on? You know, you've got... The warrior who's got all this magic and mystique and he can disappear and reappear and smoke and mirrors. And Stevie Ray ends up sort of laying some punches on him. He's taking them from what from I just thought, what is going on here? And then and then the person who loses the match is is Stevie Ray. So DDP obviously gets the pin on him. I like DDP, massive fan. So I wasn't upset that he got the title shot. But it was just a non-entity after our previous conversation about Sting getting a title shot the next night. So it means nothing. The whole thing meant nothing apart from Warrior kicking half a cage down. I think he's hurt himself because he was limping a little bit on his way back. Either that or his wheelchair or his uh, crutches aren't available because he's getting a bit old. For him and, Warrior, and Hogan to have a little pull-apart brawl in the aisle. I just think, oh, just, why do we have to have this just play out as a another vehicle for, for Hogan to somehow have his name and you know his name in the show ddp yet again is probably looking like even though he won no one's really talking about him no one really cared did they it was all probably about the smoke and mirrors and warriors kind of entrance and kicking himself out of the cage and trying to go warrior because you know ddp diamond cut out of stevie ray one two three it's all over that's it and it's like all we're ever thinking about is warrior and hogan so a real waste of lots of talent in there that could do so much more in different scenarios but this is WCW in 1998, I'm afraid. I kept that short, by the way. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure, really, how much I can add to the way you two have pulled this part, uh, pulled this match apart. Um, what I will say is, both of you sort of highlighted the small one redeeming feature. Would be like, as a fan of DDP, he 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 picked up the win and has earned himself a title shot down the line, but. As a vehicle for getting ultimately, and this is very idealistic of me, but if you have a number one contendership match, the aim of that match on paper should be really to, you might want to build a couple of side stories and, 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 and do some story development towards other feuds that are going to happen coming out of this match that has nine people in it, which is fair enough. But the main vehicle, the match should be a vehicle, sorry, towards building the person that's going to win it to be ready for a match with the champion. The champion's Goldberg. Goldberg's undefeated. We all know Goldberg, like the intensity and the popularity and what Goldberg brings to the table. This match did absolutely nothing 
for DDP to get him ready for a title match with Goldberg on pay-per-view. Like, absolutely nothing at all. Um, it was the, the second... It was the side story, really. And, of course, the main story, of obviously, was Hulk Hogan, because he always is. Um, yeah, this was just a complete mess. Um, I don't really think I could add to the way you two pulled it apart. Um, but I just echo everything you said. It Little by the way of action, really, and, and enjoyable action, and a lot by the way of complete nonsense. Um, and it just wasn't entertaining. It wasn't so bad it's funny, so bad it's good. It was just bad. Um, really terrible way to cap off the pay-per-view, but ultimately quite a fitting way to cap off this particular pay-per-view. So, Pete, I'll uh, come to you first. Uh, like Your overall thoughts on the show and the score rating out of 10 for full brawl. Um, it was awful. Probably <laughs> the worst pay-per-view I've seen from WCW, I think. And that's, you know, I've seen, I've seen a few along the way. Certainly this year, clearly, it's it's bottoming out massively. Um, you think about from a fan's point of view, who paid their money in, in the ring, sorry, in the crowd and also at home, what things you want to see on the night happen and none of this stuff that happened. Ed Warrior didn't get his hands really on Hogan at all. There was no blow-off to that whatsoever. Rick and Scott Steiner didn't really have a match. It was just a stupid fake um, um, angle with the neck injury. That never really got anywhere at all. The other matches, there wasn't a great deal of storyline to hardly anything, apart from our mate, the cat, having a bit of a kick around with the Armstrongs or Thunder, which meant Smiley had to take him on. Absolutely bullshit it wasn't worth anything the opener was just double your time nitro match which was and now is i think it's done more harm than good to people who've been in that ring at the time scott hall shouldn't have even been out there that shouldn't have even been a match if we're being honest there was no goldberg we didn't get flair we didn't really get much in the way you know, on this night of anything that probably, and the fans and the crowd were quite good and they, they kept with this for some reason they did, God bless them so we all sat at home going Jesus Christ, this is awful um, so from that point of view um, I'm going to give it 2 out of 10 and that is purely because I think the Raven Saturn match had enough going for it and did deliver something for us um, and I liked Juventude's finisher, and that's probably about it. So that's two. Adam. Uh, I think I've not already said. Um, I mean, you've got you've. This is the epitome of everything that's wrong with WCW in 1998. The opening match. Uh, was won by two WWF guys that um, are not their merits exactly. Um, they may have been something once, but they're not now. Um, and you keep going through to the main event, where although they didn't, although they weren't involved in the finish, that could still be argued um, is relevant to the final to the main event, where you've got two former WWF guys who definitely aren't there on merit anymore um who although they didn't, weren't involved with the finish is what 
they were what the match was about. Um, it was the Saturn versus Raven match was really strong. You can if you can track it down, I give it a watch. Um, you won't be disappointed. Um, the cruiserweight match was fine. The Jericho thing, I enjoyed. Um, and everything else is really not worth it. Um, some would say Conan getting a win is nice, but Conan really isn't that great. So it's um, it, that really didn't appeal to me in the slightest. Um, I'm I'm going to be generous and go two with this because yeah, there was two matches that I that are worth watching. Well, I'm going to make it free for free. And uh, I also had jotted down in my notes that I was going to give this show a two out of 10. So we've got a unanimous two for this show, um, which I do think is kind of generous because to my taste, really, there'd be one thing on this show I would recommend watching. One thing that was good enough to go out of your way to see. And so I'd give it a point for that. And I don't really know where the other point's coming from. Um, there's a lot of negative on this show, but I don't, I don't know. One feels a bit harsh, but two feels a bit high. Um, I'm going to stick with a two, <laughs> though. Um, yeah, uh, I don't watch a lot of WCW pay-per-views, usually on the WWF side of things, and they're not particularly stellar pay-per-views this year either in the Fed, but I haven't seen one this bad. Um quite like to stick on uh, the WWF side of things moving forward, I think, if this is the kind of output I'm going to get from WCW. Yeah, uh, 2 out of 10 show for all of us, a really, really poor pay-per-view, one to avoid. The Nitro after full brawl kicked off with Goldberg vs Sting announced as the main event. Tony Schiavone acknowledged the rumours that Ric Flair was meant to be appearing tonight and the four horsemen would be reforming. In our opening match, Alex Wright vs Ram Hammer went to a disqualification when the cat came out and attacked Hammer. Miller cut a promo ranting about how he's the greatest until security took him away. Minjean interviewed Bret Hart who had turned babyface. Bret said Hogan was full of crap and promised to make his life hell. Piper interrupted and challenged Bret to prove what he was made of. Bret closed the segment by asking the fans for a second chance. Saturn defeated Kendall Wyndham with a DVD. The flock came out and Raven appeared in the stand saying they needed to join him again. Saturn advised them not to, going as far as to call Sick Boy the finest young talent in wrestling today. Eventually they all listened to Saturn and walked away with the exception of Canyon. Raph squashed Renegade with a pump handle power slam. Hogan and his entourage came out for a promo. Hogan called Brett a sissy and Warrior Coward before challenging Warrior to face him at Halloween Havoc. Smoke filled the ring and when it cleared the Disciple had disappeared. Kidman defeated Hoovy in a good match to become the new Cruiserweight Champion. Saturn came out to applaud Kidman on his win. Jackie Chan did a sit down promo in which he plugged the Rush Hour movie. Eddie Guerrero and Abe. Eric Bischoff exchanged words backstage with Bischoff saying he'd arrange for Eddie to work a tour of Japan to put him further away from his family. Bulldog defeated Barbarian with a power slam. Mean Gene interviewed JJ Dillon in the ring. JJ ordered a Steiner Steiner rematch for Halloween Havoc. The ring filled with smoke and the warrior appeared with a disciple kneeling at his feet. Hogan and the rest of the NWO came out. Warrior accepted Hogan's challenge for Halloween Havoc and the smoke returned. Warrior and the disciple disappeared. 
Scott Steiner squashed Silver King and Northern Smiley with a double Steiner recliner. The Giant defeated Meng in an excellent hard-hitting, hard-hitting match with a chokeslam. A very drunk Scott Hall faced Lex Luger. Hall was very uncooperative and eventually Bischoff, Nash and Conan had to come out and talk Hall out of the match. Hall threw up on Bischoff at the end of the segment. In a brilliant segment we'll break down in more detail on our main show. Ric Flair returned to Nitro and the Four Horsemen reformed. And the main event of the evening was Goldberg defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Sting. Again, we'll go into more detail on this in the main show, but Goldberg picked up the win after interference from Hogan. So with full brawl in the books, we will move on to the last uh, few Nitros of the month, uh, particularly the following night, the 14th of September Nitro. Two major things to discuss from that show. As we alluded to earlier, First up on the 14th, we have the return of Ric Flair. Late in the show, uh, Arn Anderson's in the ring with Mongo, Benoit and Milenko. They're all wearing tuxedos. Arn said everyone had asked him to bring back the horsemen, but people should be careful for what they, what they wish for. He's cutting promo about bringing back the horsemen and then he interrupts himself, remembering that he has forgotten the full horsemen, announcing Ric Flair, come on down here. Uh, the ovation Flair got, before he came out, when he came out, and the first few minutes of him being out was one of the biggest and most sustained pops I could ever remember. He came down teary-eyed, hugged each of the horsemen. Uh, Flair got on the mic. He said the work he had done, uh, the work he had put in the last 20 years entertaining the people was all worth it just for this moment. And then with a flick of the switch, he became the nature boy. Flair tore into Bischoff, highlighting this was a real-life situation. Uh, Bischoff came out, uh, screaming at Flair from the aisle. Flair called him an arsehole, screaming the words abuse of power. Flair told Bischoff he hated his gut and told, guts and told him he sucked and screamed, fire me, I'm already fired, before they cut to break. Um, all in all, this is an excellent segment, in my opinion. Um, I'll come to you first. Uh, Adam, what did you think of the return of Ric Flair? Um. I mean, I'm not a particularly big Ric Flair fan, but I can certainly see why everyone was really happy with this. Um, Flair, a lot of Flair's stuff in the last couple of years has been phoning it in, but you could see he really wanted to be here, which really, you know, boosted what was already a fairly positive segment anyway. Um, yeah, the, the crowd really loved him. Um Bischoff coming out um, and just Flair just cutting that promo on him was well, actually was brilliant. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of fans in, uh, sitting at home who would love to have said something similar to Bischoff, um, especially when it comes to his treatment uh, of Flair and the Horsemen over the last two or three years. Uh, I mean, the, there are negatives I can think of. The him, uh, my biggest one is they where they were hyping it. Throughout the night, I feel it cut short Kidman's cruiserweight victory. Um, Kidman is establishing himself on his own. He won, had this big cruiserweight win, and then they cut to them hyping the flare thing. It's just like, well, couldn't they have put that in somewhere else, given Kidman his moment? Um, that's nothing against Flair. That's just whoever decided to do the format for the Nitro. Um one thing that 
kind of confused me about this is uh, this was a horseman reunion up until this night. The arm wrestle segment that was going on on the next night's Thunder uh, with uh, with Arn Anderson and Eric Bischoff that was supposed to be over whether the Horsemen would be allowed to reunite. That was sw- subtly changed to Ric Flair being allowed to wrestle again, which um, I, I think that's just emblematic of WCW booking. The fact that they just subtly changed um, that stipulation without really making a big deal. It, it, did, it did confuse me um, up until they sort of mentioned that that, that was a stipulation now. Um, but as a as a segment, it was it was great to see Flair on form, um, and they're dragging out him coming back to the ring. Which I'm not sure if that's a bad thing or not. Um, you know, the, at least the people are getting to see Flair, which is uh, what WWF has stood for the last little while. You know, we want Flair. Um, now they're getting him, so. Uh, proof that WCW can occasionally listen to their fans. Um, it just costs someone two million for it to happen. Pete, uh, I'm a big Flair fan. I'm not going to say the word Mark because that's also used probably in the wrong terms all the time. But I'm a huge fan, and there's probably nobody else I can think in 1998 as it stands who would get this level of reaction and sort of hype around a, a return the way he did so you know and also it being in north carolina just was just perfect in terms of the timing and the booking clearly that was done for the right reasons um the fact that blair wears his heart on his sleeve and has done you know up to where he is now i think is 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 great to see that vulnerability about him but then as you say that almost the switch was flipped and then we go into full flare flare mode of hyperbole and screaming and really getting his point across i mean i think he actually made himself bleed his mouth was bleeding i think he's either popped something inside his mouth or a blood vessel he was actually pulling a, a blade job inside his own mouth doing the promo which you know is classic flair isn't it really that he has to bleed at some point during uh during his appearance, you know. So for me, it was as it should have been. It was done correctly. I think he got a lot of subtle um, shots off at Bischoff because clearly, although they have settled this all, um, there's obviously still a little bit of uh, tension clearly in the air. And I think Bischoff obviously allowed that to happen because I think he realised this guy is what people want to see. I mean, the rating, I think, was it 5.8? It drew just in... This was it for the quarter for the actual show itself. Was that on the on the news? Yes, yeah. Uh, in this segment, that's what it drew. Yeah, I mean that's huge. You know, ratings win, which is why I guess they held off from where they were. A couple of points for me though. So where has Steve McMichael been? Where's Chris Benoit been? Where have these guys been when you know Malenko was having his struggles, Arms was having his difficulties, and then the very next night they all just arrive and everyone's back on board again. It was just a bit like, okay, maybe you could have slowly built up, you know, I know there's been a lot of, because Benoit was doing a little bit of recruitment S, wasn't he, with the fingers and that a few months back, but that came to nothing. And it just seems to be, we just all been based around Flair's return. 
Um, and for me, the segment was just absolutely as it should have been. And only he could deliver it the way he delivered it. So, you know, I can't think of anybody else who could do this the way that he he, he did it. And I think they're banking on on this being a, a ratings winner. And hopefully, um, the trouble is, it does mean that we're going to see Flair back in the ring. And this isn't 1989. 1990 this is 1998 so there's going to be something you know we've had sort of piper come back and think out a few performances there's a lot of um older main event guys already in wcw and now flair's back it's just another one into that mix so that's where people like you know like, even though ddp is not a young man he's also he's obviously quite new to the main event mix he doesn't get lost in a in a bigger shuffle because Flair's a huge personality and a massive name, and he is WCW. You know him and you'd probably say Sting have, have carried the company from from a, a long way back. But for a segment, for me as a, as a Flair fan, you just sit there, just yeah, brilliant, absolutely awesome, loved it. Yeah, as a segment, it was um, excellent. Um, it was exactly what the live crowd wanted, and they got everything they could have hoped for. Um, the, the crowd reaction to Flair was amazing and uh, you could tell how much it meant to Flair. Uh, that felt quite real. It didn't feel like a, sort of a unnatural reaction for Flair. It felt very organic and, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where this goes and, what, like, with Flair back in the ring and stuff like that, like how sort of they use him moving forward. Um, but on this night, in this segment, it was perfect, and uh, you really maybe I mentioned having them at pay per view the night before. But if that was to have taken away from this, then they were right not to do it. This was exactly how it should have been done. Uh, the main event of the 14th of September Nitro, a bit later in the evening after the flare return, was the Goldberg versus Sting match, which was announced at full brawl, full brawl the night before. Um, so yeah, we do have Goldberg versus Sting for the first time ever on free TV. Uh, the crowd were very into this, standing from the opening bell, cheering everything that both men did. Uh, Goldberg immediately slammed Sting down, but Sting came back, ramming Goldberg into the corner in a power slam position. Sting hit a suplex, but Goldberg is back to his feet first. Goldberg won a test of strength before looking for a tombstone, but Sting reversed into one of his own. Goldberg stumbled to the corner and Sting hit a Stinger splash. Goldberg went for a spear, but Sting dodged and Goldberg hit the corner. Sting chop blocked him and looked for, for the Scorpion, locked on the Scorpion Deathlock, but Hogan came out and booted Sting in the back of the head. Somehow the ref missed this. Uh, Goldberg was up. He hit a spear, followed with a jackhammer for the win mm -hmm. to retain his title. Uh, Brett lim limped down to the ring and chased Hogan away before telling Goldberg what happened and tending to sting with Goldberg. Uh, uh, Peter, I'll come to you first. What did you make of this match, the first ever clash between Sting and Goldberg? Yeah, I think it was it was great to see Goldberg up against one of the more elite members of the roster. I think we've had obviously a lot of sort of mid-cards up against Goldberg, and it's actually a, a, the first probably best showcase of the title we've had on Nitro with Goldberg as well. Um, it's a shame we had to get all the, the usual Nitro shenanigans, but it was to be expected with a main event on Nitro that you're going to get a run-in, uh, a double run-in maybe, and all sorts going on. 
Um, it did leave you thinking a little bit, well, what's what's going on here, I suppose, because Hitman's been sort of trying to come to the rescue in all areas, isn't he, really, regarding his role with Hogan and or Sting. Um, I'm glad Goldberg won, you know, and got the win, because he has to, to maintain his aura and maintain the win streak for the time being, because obviously having not been on the pay-per-view, which is must have been a bit odd for him being world champion and probably the biggest star they've got, not even appear on that show, must have been a bit of a kick in the teeth. So at least he got a main event on Nitro, but unfortunately, you know, our mate Perry had to show up again, didn't he, and put his put his aura in and have a bit of spotlight on him. So yeah, it was it was good. Um, I don't know why it happened. I mean, it was probably just a vehicle for for what happened afterwards. Again, I would suggest, but. Uh, <coughs> It's very concerning, a bit concerning about Goldberg in his title run. It's, it's a bit of a worrying trend he's not had. Dare I say it, it's almost been like an Ultimate Warrior title run, you know, that he's massively popular, won the title, and then never really got to properly have big feuds or great defences against anybody before he eventually will will drop a title in the future. So it's, it's very much a bit like that, really, that you've got probably the most popular star in the whole whole building, as it were, in the company, who's just being left to, you know, dine out on that fact and nothing else. So they've, they've really hit a bit of a, a bum note with him in that sense. But it was good to have Sting and him square off. And they've got so many dream matches they can do. It's good they've got this one out there. But should it have really been on pay-per-view, not Nitro? I think Adam mentioned that. Why not have this as a as a main event and then put somebody else in the War Games match? But there we go. Who are we? And what, what do we know? Adam, your thoughts on this main event? Um, like I said earlier, this, this is really a no-win match. Um, I mean, at least in a Nitro setting, at least on a pay-per-view, it would have drawn them uh, some money and some interest. But if you've got Sting versus Goldberg on free TV, um, if it... If it hadn't been for the interference, how would you have ended it? You know, uh, another DQ. Well, we see those on every nitro, so that would have gone down horribly. Um, well, you could have had Goldberg going over Sting. Well, that's that pay per view revenue lost. Um, oh, you could have had Sting ending Goldberg's streak, which is well, that kind of hampers the Goldberg character because that's what he is that people are paying to see him win. Um, also, that does Sting no favours because uh, as much as people love Sting, they love Goldberg because he keeps winning, so they're going to resent Sting for that. So, yeah, this in this situation is a no-win thing. At least if you put it on a pay-per-view with a, re- with a decent amount of build, people are going to be into it. Um, yeah, the interference uh, is really the best option they had. And it, it's a shame because I... I think that these two, uh, yeah, they they could they they seem to go together quite well, um, given Goldberg's uh, limitedness in the ring. Um, but yeah, I mean, what? But again, it comes back to what I was saying about the cruiserweight title. How are they deciding these rankings? You know, this is a guy who lost in a number one's contendership match who the next night is the number one contender that there is nothing logical about the way they're booking these titles um 
they're supposed to be titles are supposed to represent the creme de la creme of that division um but there seems to be no structure to those divisions um it's a shame because uh yeah a, a well-built match between these two could actually be something worth watching but this was um just me going very loudly for about 10 minutes I thought the match itself was really good. Um, I thought it was probably the most that could have got out of it in this position. Like, uh, I thought Sting was really unselfish and, and sold well, but also, like, he got offense in on Goldberg, and I thought it was a good competitive match. The crowd were into it. But as you say, the, the sort of story aspect and, like, the wider arching issues with Goldberg's title reign and the way they treated this title this month, like not being on the pay-per-view and Sting losing losing a number one contender's match and, and then being the number one contender the next night. There are a lot of problems with this. And at the moment, it's being masked with sort of Goldberg's popularity and they're getting through. But that if, if there are long-standing issues, they will continue to sort of get in the way and eventually they they will overcome the popularity and the, the, the negatives will start to outweigh the positives so they need to make changes moving forward but as a main event for TV and even with the interference from, from Hogan which is like I wouldn't normally be happy with interference and a bit of a crappy finish, but ultimately it was the right finish for this show and it was the right finish for this story. Whatever this story is long-term, this was the right way to do it on this night. So apart, I wouldn't normally advocate crappy finishes, but I think this is the correct thing to do from this position. A very drunk Scott Hall showed up at the arena to kick off the third Nitro of the month. As the announcers were introducing the show, the ring filled with smoke. It cleared to reveal the Disciple laying face down on the mat. Hogan and the rest of the NWO Hollywood ran down to make the save, but the smoke returned and it cleared with the Disciple having disappeared. Warrior was shown in the rafters with the Disciple kneeling beside him. Fit Finley defeated Barry Darso with a tombstone. Ruff destroyed Nick Dinsmore in a quick squash with a pump handle power slam. We had a DDP versus Goldberg hype video package. Rick Steiner defeated Rick Fuller with a diving bulldog before cutting a promo on Scott and Buff. He claimed to be 9,000-0 against Scott and called Buff a girl. Hogan came out for a promo calling out Warrior. Warrior appeared on the stage and dared Hogan to follow him to the back. Hogan went back to the locker room to find Warrior at graffiti with the Disciple laying on the bathroom floor, but the Disciple disappeared in a puff of smoke. Villano 4 and 5 versus Raven and Canyon was stopped short after a botched powerbomb neckbreaker injured Villano 4. Raven broke character to try and protect him and thankfully after several minutes Villano 4 was able to walk to the back under assistance. Disco Inferno was told he would receive a cruiserweight title shot tonight if he was able to make the required weight limit. Alex Wright cut a hill promo calling out DDP who then defeated the German with a diamond cutter. The Cat vs Lenny Lane was interrupted by a drunk Scott Hall wandering out. Dusty Rhodes came out to escort Hall away as Miller won with a roundhouse kick. We saw Disco Inferno backstage making weight for his Cruiserweight title shot. 
Jericho cut a promo claiming to have a legit win over Goldberg and called himself the rightful world champion. Saturn and Jerry Finn had an ECW-style match, with Saturn picking up the win after a top rope splash for a table and a DVD. Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell came out for a promo and called out Bret Hart. Bret limped out in a knee brace, but they claimed he was faking and went after the knee and attacked him until Sting made the save. As Scott retreated, Rick Steiner jumped him on the aisle. Kidman had the match of the night, returning his cruiserweight title against a Disco Inferno who was absolutely exhausted from his attempt to make weight for the match. Conan defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. in a match that went way too long with a tequila sunrise. Eric and Bischoff and Ric Flair aired their dirty laundry on live TV in a segment that just went absolutely forever. Flair vowed that even if he isn't booked to wrestle, he'll just show up at Nitro every week with the rest of the horsemen anyway. Giant and Stevie Ray faced Kevin Nash and Lex Luger. Scott Hall wandered down to try and take his place as Giant's partner. Eventually, Giant and Stevie led Hall away and Nash got a promo on Hall issuing a challenge for Halloween Havoc. Hogan and Bishop came out for a promo and demanded the Warrior. Disciple came out and stood alongside Warrior wearing a One Warrior Nation jacket. The final Nitro of the month opened with Hogan and the NWO coming out for a promo. Hogan cut a promo on Warrior. He challenged both Bret Hart and Sting. La Parker defeated Super Kolo in our opening match of the evening, but Kolo attacked La Parker with a chair after the match. Mean Gene brought out Bret Hart for a promo, who accepted Hogan's challenge and had cleared it with Sting to get the first shot at Hogan. He vowed to kick the crap out of him. Disciple defeated Sick Boy with a stunner. Scott Steiner defeated Lenny Lane and Nick Dinsmore in a handicap match with a double Steiner recliner. He sold his back after the match and a trainer came out to look at him. Warrior came out for a promo. He was rambling and a fan hit the ring but security tackled him. Warrior claimed the fan was just mad that Hogan hadn't wrestled him yet. He vowed at Halloween Havoc he would be full blown, whatever that means. Mean Gene brought out Buff Bagwell who claimed that Scott Steiner was injured and the long-awaited Steiner v Steiner match at Halloween Havoc may be off. Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Psychosis with a spin kick. Alex Wright cut a promo in German calling out the British Bulldog. Disco Inferno defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. after some cheating behind the ref's back. Hoovy came out to protest this but Disco laid him out with a pile driver. The Horsemen came out for a promo, but Bischoff interrupted them and had them escorted out of the building by security. Jericho and his crew came out to call out Goldberg, but Goldberg came down carrying the unconscious mini Goldberg impersonator. Jericho pushed his cronies into a double spear and bailed. A drunk Scott Hall defeated Kidman with the edge. British Bulldog vs Alex Wright had a double pin finish. Kevin Nash vs Brian Adams ended via DQ after Stevie Ray ran out and hit Nash with the slapjack for the DQ. Who also attacked Nash but Luger and Conan made the save. Hugh Morris and Barry Darso lost to Conan and Lex Luger after Lex racked Darso for the win. On our main event was the first ever televised Bret Hart vs Hogan match which we will break down in more detail on the main show. It turned out to be a swerve and both men beat down Sting to end the show. The final thing we'll break down in depth on this month will be the main event segment on the final Nitro of the month, which saw the first ever televised singles match between Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart. Uh, Bret versus Hogan started slow, but Hogan eventually got a takedown, with, but Bret took control of the action on the mat. Hogan got an arm breaker, but Bret couldn't 
could reach the ropes. Brett avoids three straight elbows, but he's in trouble with his knee. And on the outside, Hogan drapes it over the barricade and bends it around the post. Sting came out and shoved Hogan, which uh, was allowed, apparently. Lugan and Conan came out to check on Brett. And the match suddenly, su match suddenly came to a stop. Brett wanted to keep fighting, but wasn't able to. Sting removed his coat, stepped up and challenged Hogan. And the ref allowed this, with the match now becoming Hogan versus Sting. On the split screen, we saw Brett being loaded into an ambulance backstage, but it turned out the EMTs were Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell, who laid out Conan and Luger. In the ring, uh, Sting had Hogan in a figure four, but Brett lipped his way back to ringside. Sting hit the Sting a splash and looked for the death lock, but Brett got in the ring and hit Sting with a DDT for the DQ. Brett locks on the sharpshooter, no longer selling his leg. Conan and Luger pulled Sting from the ring as Hogan and Brett laughed at their plan coming together as the show went off the air. Adam, your thoughts on this match and and this swerve? <laughs> um, did I mention I really don't like three-hour nitros? Um, well, I mean, it's well, I mean, once you knock out the adverts, it's about two minutes twenty-five. But there are so many better things I could do. Uh, two hours twenty-five, and there's so many things I could do in that time. Um, one thing I could drive, hop in my car, drive for two two and a half hours. By which point, I don't want to uh, punch the screen for having watched three hours of Nitro. Um, but I, uh, I really wanted this to be good because uh, I really like Brett. Um, I it I find it a shame that they went with Yoko uh, back in '93. I think him defeating Hogan would have been a brilliant passing the torch moment. Uh, although on the other side, we did get that Brett Jerry Lala uh, SummerSlam match, which actually I think was really well uh, done in like a really old school territory way it's not the sort of thing you'd see the fed doing usually um and it got a lot of heat on jerry it made brett out to be uh really strong um and this this was just what the hell another swerve from the nwo these i mean they're not doing them every week but they're doing it enough that I'm just thinking um, it's almost getting to the point where you feel where you're just like, why am I falling for this? It it happened. Every, it happens all the time. Um, case in point, we watched uh, Steiner and Bagwell. That was just another NWA swerve. Um, you know, what, what else you got? Have you, I get that they're, heels and they're trying not to be too kick-ass but is this really the best they got um another thing that irritated me the sting versus hogan bit why wasn't that the way the starcade match was booked sting looked lots oh sting got in a lot more offense against hogan in this one got in probably more offense in the bit of this match he was in than he did in the whole of that Starcade match. Uh, 
I'm I'm just questioning what the point of this whole thing was because this this has been building like the whole month um, and it's just a case of also uh, this was just so you could uh, get one over on Sting again it's it's not like it it was building to I don't know like say a title match where uh, where Hogan could get the title back at least then it would be like well that achieved something this this really didn't seem to achieve anything um, unless I've 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 missed something no I don't I don't think you have really um no, let's see if uh, Pete can you illuminate us. Uh, are we missing anything, <laughs> or, or, or was this just a, another way for the NWA to get one over on Sting? I think it was. I mean, what I didn't get was that Brett obviously was carried out with his knee, but when he came back and he interfered in his own match, it was a DQ. I didn't quite get that because it was Brett versus Hogan to begin with, wasn't it? Am I right? Well, am I using my logic on a Sunday that I shouldn't be using? I'd, anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just weird. Um, I'm getting a bit bored of all these fake injuries. I mean, Brett did a fairly good job. He has done of, of, of doing this, I suppose, with me. But what, other than as what you've already said, just to get one over on Sting, who is just a member of. The wolf pack. It's not like Sting's been, you know, some sort of on fire guy and he's like, oh, we need to take him out because he's a threat. I mean, it's like, so does this lead to Goldberg and, I'm sorry, Hart and Sting now? Is that where this leads us? And what's that for? It's for nothing. So, because H- Hogan clearly is with Warrior, that's that's his program. So, but he had to be involved yet again in somebody else's sort of mini feud yet again because obviously he is the leader and whatever else i just think i said this months ago about brett on on this show that it's just you think of where this guy has come from i know what he went through i know what happened we all do it's well documented but ever since he's come to wcw it's just bust after bust after bust and it's just i don't know what's going on i mean this is a guy who he's now te- he's now with who has adam's already mentioned in what 93 it was i think it totally screwed him over at WrestleMania, didn't let, you know, Hogan wouldn't pass the torch to Brett when he should have done. He had to go through Yokozuna, of all people, because um, he wouldn't drop it to Brett, he would drop it to him. And then all these years later, when, you know, Brett's had, you know, is becoming or had become a big star in WWF and moved to WCW on big money, he's still playing second fiddle to, to Hogan. Hogan's still manipulating everything around him. And now, after you thought that Brett was going to maybe turn on Hogan and once the warrior thing has, has gone and been, it's going to be Hogan Brett, they do a massive swerve and just screw Sting over. I think, oh, who is writing this stuff? It must just be Hogan yet again, you know, feeding his ego. And Brett's just gone, I'll tell you what, oh, I'm being paid $3 million, whatever it is a year. I don't give a shit anymore. I'll just do it, whatever. <laughs> And that's where I think it is. So I mean, I don't. I just didn't care for it. I just thought Nitro. You know, it's a bit of it's a slog of 
of squash matches with Barry Darso, etc. As, as we go along watching them, and then we get these main events which leave you scratching your head and you think, oh God, and you're on to next week. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's very difficult to follow up on what Adam was saying in any, any more detail, but that's, that's kind of where I feel it is. I think it's a bit of a, a waste of all involved yet again. And let's just hope that somewhere out of this, it leads to decent matches on pay-per-view. That's what we want. That's what we're probably never going to get, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Well, we've got to get through Hogan warrior first if we're going to get to any decent matches on pay-per-view so it may be a while um i'd go one further it's not just a waste of sort of wow it's 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 a waste of everything because this is hogan versus brett like that's such a huge match and you just two minutes oh it's a swerve it didn't really matter they're actually on the same team and they got one over on sting and it's just like you have these matches like on the 14th, Sting versus Goldberg, 28th, Hogan versus Brett. Like if you just like take yourself out of the bubble of of reviewing September in WCW, you say this month that you get to the end of August, you don't like someone comes in blind, you get to the end of August and you go, right, this next month in WCW, we've got Goldberg versus Sting and we've also got Hogan versus Brett. Like, you tell a wrestling fan that at the end of August, and they're going to be so excited for the month's programming. And then they watch it, and they see how these two matches unfold and where they're sort of positioned within the month and the meaning behind them. And the most optimistic fan can only walk away disheartened. And that's the overarching emotion you'd take away from WCW this month, is disappointment, being disheartened. And being deterred to want to continue, like, at what point do you do you just give up and just say, "There's all these wonderful dream matches I could see, but I'm never going to," because even when I do, they're just going to be swerves. They're just not going to mean anything. They're not going to have any sort of real classic wrestling element behind them. They're just going to be storyline swerves. And the joke's always on Sting. <laughs> like, uh, it's a real downbeat way to to come to the end of the show, but it's probably oh, Halloween Havoc. That's yeah, Halloween Havoc. Yay! Well, it, it's a fitting way to to end a show that was focused on Full Brawl '98, and it's a fitting way to lead into Halloween Havoc. So, pff, I don't really know what else there is to say, but it's been a very <laughs> very disappointing month. Are you going to be here next month, Chris? I think I might be back on the WWF side <laughs> of things next month. Thank God. Chris, but, um... Chris is now retiring from the podcast. For a <laughs> yeah, I had a, a, a two-month break from the show, and I came back to this, and I think I might go for, go away yeah. for many more Can't months. Blame Can't blame you. Um, but, yeah, that will just about do it for Volume 1 of the September 1998 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I'd like to say thanks, firstly, to Adam Joyce for joining me on the show. Oh, no problems. Um, well, other than the fact I had to watch the damn things, but, yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, you are on Twitter? Uh, yes. Uh, occasionally I, I am on Twitter. You can catch me at EL underscore J. Um, I'm also uh, a hack comedian. You can find out more about that um, at 
facebook.com forward slash el.j.comedy. Um, I've, for those in the southeast, um, I have a show on the 4th of October at the Cliffs Pavilions Theatre in Southend. Uh, tickets are £5. Um, feel free to come down. Uh, it, my comedy is better planned than this. Uh, also, <laughs> if, if you enjoy uh, the sort of ranting I do here, but you want to hear it a bit more scripted, uh, I do do the occasional, occasional. Uh, drop-ins on uh, the Mindfart podcast. Uh, so check that out. Uh, I've not done one in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think I'm probably going to end up writing one today based on the Supreme Court hearings of the US. Um, that's given me some great material. Um, although one of a couple of weeks ago on Partisan News, it's certainly worth uh, a listen if, if you have any interest in politics. Um, yeah, and, it, and if this show is, is an indication of the quality I've expected to suffer through, it may be the only way you can hear my voice in the podcasting world sometime soon. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, also thank you to uh, Pete Kimber. Cheers, Chris. Been a pleasure to polish the usual turds we do every month on WCW. So always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pete, you on Twitter? Any plugs or like? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Pekember One. Nothing to plug anymore. I used to do a podcast. It's come to a bit of a natural end, so it's been in a on the bench right now. So just find me on there with my usual tweeting about our beloved Arsenal. Bless us. <laughs> Other bits and bobs. So you're saving all your podcast energy for shows like this? Absolutely. I'm, I'm full force, obviously. Brilliant. Good stuff. Um, and uh, I have been your host, Chris White. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisWhite14. And much like Pete, nothing to plug in particular, except this show. Um, this is volume one of September. And please check out uh, volume two, which will be all your WWF coverage. And volume three, rounding off the month, as always, Chris Lacey and ECW. Uh, but thank you very much for listening to volume one of the WCW September 1998 Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>